Howdy CEOs and welcome to Pair Talks Prun, a Prosperous Universe podcast aimed at delivering you a little bit of entertainment, some knowledge and insight into the happenings of the Prosperous Universe universe. I'm your host C-Pair and with me as always I have Lex Ander. How are you doing tonight Lex? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> no, nothing big just oh, good <laughs> I, yeah, i'm fine i'm fine <laughs> that's good uh and of course as always we have the guest who can't take a hint uh dead de, 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 de uh, i'll get it eventually i feel like i just need to roll my r's better um but yeah so we we have uh kind of you might be asking yourself well where's the guest well this is kind of a guestless guestless episode um it's just me lex and dehas and and we're talking about prosperous universe uh you know we don't get the chance to often just have us three so uh it'll be a little bit of change of pace which is nice i i really appreciate the opportunity to just kind of have more of a quieter podcast and uh yeah just chatting about uh our thoughts our feelings and uh yeah just share just share what's going on so the first segment that we're going to begin today is on corporate comms. So for those that don't know, uh, probably everybody knows, but for those that don't know, I'm hoping everybody does, um, I run uh, a corporation by the name of Nascent Mercantile within Prosperous Universe. And I think I've started this corporation, ooh, May, June, July, somewhere in like July-ish period of time. And since then, we have gone through just an absolutely major transformation. Um, Obviously, with the podcast, the videos, um, if I had a nickel for every time somebody's come to me being like, Pear, like, I watched your videos and you inspired me to play the game. It's And that's really why I did them. You know, when I first kind of came into the game and watched these tutorials, it became very apparent and very quick. Like I looked at the timestamp and it was like 2017 and I was like, well, this, these videos are like almost five years old now, which is kind of crazy to think. And so I was like, okay, well we need to create some new videos. So maybe people are often thinking like, oh, does Pear want to become a YouTuber? It's like, no, I don't want to become a YouTuber. That's never my intention to really get like a massive follower, uh, follower base. Uh, I do enjoy making the videos. That being said though, I often, really concern myself a lot more with quality over quantity so the the frequency of the videos is probably not maybe to everybody's standards but it is what it is and so one of the big things that we wanted to chat about today and this this is kind of maybe the theme of this podcast episode i mean this is the first ever themed podcast well we've had themes before but never really stated them out loud and that is kind of the idea about change and learnings and with corporate comms, that's are the segment of corporate comms large in part was about, you know, what's changing within the corporation. Um, since episode seven now, I believe, yeah, we had, you know, we had Goldie Hoff on the podcast and he was chatting about shipbuilding. And then episode eight, we had Gravy coming on the podcast and talking about, talking about shipbuilding as well. And for large in part, I would say a big thing is that shipbuilding is sort of kind of, I know Lex, you mentioned it. I think it was last week you kind of talked about, or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, gravy or that has that brought up the idea that's like, so kind of quoting here, it's like, so is shipbuilding the end game. Right. And it is right now. It sort of is, it, it, it's sort of, it's like, you know, 
I forget who said it in the water cooler, but somebody was like, so you build ships to build ships faster. That's like, yep, that's yep. Uh, that's pretty much that's it. The, that's like Factorio. You grow your base to get a bigger base. That's, that's actually not a bad outcome if you look at the game, as I've said many times, as a journey. And increasing your ability to do things, to be able to increase your ability to do things, is an outcome, right? That's they're not keeping score in any traditional sense. So achievements of that type are what you're going for. Now, I think long term they'll have to change that, but I think for now that yeah, yeah, I I think they're going to have to come up with more things. But right now, yeah, the, the end game is such is to build the capacity to build more capacity. You know, I've <laughs> I've always been like, do you do you really want to put your your yeah, I've argued this, and this is this is why ships being in game is such a complicated topic. If the shipbuilding is the end game, and yet being able to increase your end game requires doing an in game tactic, where was the middle game to get you into the end game? Yeah, like that's 100%. that's 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 the interesting sort of. I'd say the game has an end game. If anything, I would say the problem is the game doesn't have a properly structured middle game. Uh, and that has any beginning early game. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting design choice, and uh, I, yeah, I've critiqued a lot of it, but it does have some consequences. And so I don't I don't think the fact that shipbuilding is an in-game activity is fundamentally a bad thing right now, other than the fact that where's that middle game to make the in-game happen is well, kind of not there. And it goes, and, it, and you know, this might this might be an interesting topic for discussion, but it's like, what should be the middle game be? And the middle game, larger part, should be the shipbuilding, right? Like that's, you should be establishing your, your ships and getting them fired up and ready to go so that you can expand your empire. And then when we talk about endgame, right? Endgame is the mega structures, right? If you've ever played the game Stellaris, yeah. right? They have these massive mega structures and like, we're talking like ring worlds and space stations and Dyson spheres and what have you not all these things. But then the big question comes and maybe the devs are asking themselves like, Oh, like we don't want a gamer to sort of like burn out from the logistical load of it all. Right. Like, so you're constantly like people I've heard, I've heard veterans of the game talk about that. It's like, it just becomes too much for them. Right. That it's like, I, I will log into the game and click around for like an hour and a half. Right. And that's not what they signed up for originally, right? And it might be interesting. One thought I've had about this is, you know, we talk about like macros, right? So you have like a macro set up or some sort of key logging system set up, but then that becomes like overpowered, right? So that's like, okay, like the beginning game is kind of pointless. You don't need to touch anything, right? So here's my answer to that. Get ready for this bombshell. My answer to that would be an advanced ship computer. So new players at the beginning of the game would not be given these advanced ship computers, but towards the mid game, when you're upgrading your ships, you upgrade it to a ship computer. Maybe it's like you have different tiers of ship computers that can like, uh, that can record so many commands, right? So eventually you do need to touch the ship again, but like, let's say that it was like, okay, I want my ship to fly to Harmonia every five days, pick up this and then fly back to Antar's and drop it off and sell it, right? And then back and forth, back and forth. And it just keeps doing that. And so this advanced ship computer could be able to do automate that process. And then you have a scenario on your hands where it's possible 
for massive empire-like players to have just tons of ships going around the galaxy doing well. And yes, it'll, yes, of course, the logistical burden will be there, of course, still, right? I mean, but like, I think of a Factorio Mega Base that you brought up earlier, Lex, you know, even with a uh, Factorio Mega Base, you still, yes, the, you have like massive things, but you, you've solved a lot of those problems, right? In the sense of belts or trains or bots, right? Yeah, I actually don't think the the thing about Factorio is is that by the time you get to that point, you have so many things automated, right? It, it's like when I when I would build a section, so I built my Factorio base in grids. There's plenty of approaches, but I would build them in grids, where I had a train network of grids and a, and a, and little four way junctions that didn't block and stuff like that. And when I wanted to put a new grid in, I just plop down the blueprint. And over the next you know, couple of hours, all the automated stuff would it, so it often go faster than that, but it it would build itself. And I had the same thing for my giant solar panel arrays, just huge solar panel arrays. And I tried different ways to make it faster and faster. But th that is a missing thing in, in this game is, is the load grows without the capabilities growing to support the load. That's I That's... do think you're right in that it would be very interesting if your capabilities to handle that load, like like Factorio, were advancements that you made in the game that allowed well, you to and, do more complicated things. And I, I really wonder to myself, like, why the the devs made it in such a way. Yes, you can have an unlimited amount of bases. You can, right? You can have an unlimited amount of bases, but it's kind of like, do you really want to at that point? Because the bases like that has that like exponential wall, right? And I'd say that you like yeah that that to me is the end game. But I'd say these mega structures are a larger part of the end game. So like let's go with an example. Let's say that nascent mercantile, for instance, built a ring world, right? So we built a ring world. For those that don't know what a ring world is, it's essentially like a massive space station in a ring-like formation. That's yeah. <laughs> um, go look it up. <laughs> but you know you built this ring world, right? And this is like the nascent mercantile ring world, right? And like. And then we have our own like established CX, right? That'd be crazy if we had our own established CXs and it's possible to do. You might be like, well, why? Because you have these advanced computers running the ships, running these kind of trains back and forth and back and forth. And you could set up this CX to be a, high, a highly automated CX to do all this jazz, right? And so it's like, you wouldn't need, because like the idea of, and that's kind of it. It's just like, I understand that they want, but it goes back to that conversation. And I I was listening to the podcast because I edit them, right? And like, I it scares me. It it genuinely scares me to, to this is probably the thing that like, you know, that keeps, keeps pair up at night. And that is the idea that, you know, they've built this game for such a scale, right? They've built this game for like thousands upon thousands of players. First of all, I don't think the service could handle it, but I mean... You know, but, that, but they, that, they can they can solve that problem if they get to. It. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so you got this. You got this massive scale uh, of of ideas, and that's fantastic. You know, as much as we've kind of been critical about the complexity of this game in our podcast episodes, I, I a secret a secret part of me kind of likes it. Like, I'm I'm a big fan of for those that are big Factorio. You know, yeah, you didn't know that this is going to be a Factorio podcast tonight. Um, you know, uh, Bob's and Angels mod packs, right? As soon, like, my enjoyment went from, oh, I really enjoy Factorio to, like, holy crap, it's taken over my life, 
Like it really was like, this is insane. Right. And I loved it. I fell in love with the complexity of it all. It's, it goes back to something I've said in earlier that there are fiddly mechanics, which are just, so this game's fiddly. And, and what I mean by that. So if you want to feed your people, so so I I can give a specific. Des and I did a contract where he supplied the consumables and I gave and I built some uh, beef fabs for him, and and he's sending me contract after contract, and it's just so much to keep track of. Like seven consumables. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. And none of that complexity, none of it, improves the game experience at all. No, nobody goes, boy, I'm really glad that I had to work seven different materials to figure this out. Like that was just an increase in people's workload. Not now you've well, you need more stuff to build. Okay, that's fine. Then put something in the supply chain where somebody makes a business of putting them all together in one thing that you can reduce everybody else's complexity, right? That's an idea that's been talked about. But the workload of just pure workload this game is filled with sliders you have to manually control, complete yeah. lack of automation. Difficulty, you have to use spreadsheets to keep track of how much you're going to use of things. Very, very few things in this game can, as you grow, reduce your workload. And, and it's interesting, like, I, the game that this kind of reminds me of what they're going for besides EVE, th there's a game in the X series where you basically build a big space empire with a whole bunch of systems. The thing is, is that they do actually, they actually do in most of the versions of it, provide what you're talking about, which is that you can buy upgrade, yeah. you can autopilot things to make it easier to do stuff, increased automation. In fact, in X4, you, you, you train up your pilots. It's a little goofy how you do it. But once they're sufficiently trained, then they can do totally automated things. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have to watch them that much, right? And you just, yes, the world is getting more complex. But the amount of things you have to, your actual workload is not massively increasing with the scale. There's no way in this game to solve that problem. And, and the argument, well, it's a good thing we don't have 10 ships because I'd have more workload. I'm like, okay, that's true. But that's not really a good thing, right? That's, well, that's, I, I do think that they can solve this problem in ways that feel very, very, like a very good fit. Yeah. in this world um they don't have to provide like a scripting language and all this stuff to let you like automate whatever you want no. but they can the auto provisioning for example yeah. um is just a simple automation that you can have a ship auto provision a shipping contract from one of your bases and you don't have to ever touch it you can say i want it to do this and then it will do it for you things like that on a, a little bit larger scale than they have right now would help because I do, I do hundreds and hundreds of contracts a week on like, I don't know, seven planets delivering goods to, uh, I don't know, I don't know, eight, half a dozen to a dozen different uh, people uh, multiplied by eight consumables or something like that. And that's just a lot of contracts that I have to manually go click through and I have templates for all of them but it just it is a lot of just click 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 for a lot well, and so, you know what's interesting oh sorry Lex no so I I will give you the perfect counter example to the complexity of what they are talking about okay there is a game called go 
it's even simpler than chess in terms of the rules, right? <laughs> I know it well. And and so like the rules, the rule number, the board is empty at the onset of the game. I'm, I'm looking this up online. That's rule number one. Black makes the first move, after which black and white, or white and black alternate. A move consists of placing one stone of one's own color at an empty intersection of the board. The only difficult rule is the rule governing co, which is just like this one little thing. But the rules are very simple. Game is enormously complex. And so complexity of things to do is not, in my mind, the beginning of complexity. They've given you lots and lots and lots of things to do. And the interesting thing is there is complexity in this game. And some of it's actually interesting. Like how to supply your bases, how to put your bases together. Those are interesting things. And there's complexity and thought in those. But it doesn't require lots of fiddly buttons or a million steps to do things. Those things take away from the game experience. They don't add to it. They increase your load without increasing the decisions you're making. None of what Daz is doing to fill out all those contracts is in any way increasing the decisions he's making or causing him to do anything better. Like there's, it's just, it's paperwork he has to complete. And that does not, I mean, we're not doing paperwork simulator, okay? I'm sure somebody will make that, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, that already exists. Somewhere. Sure, already exists, right? S- but, sign but, here. But, but, sign but, here. But, but none of us, at least to my knowledge, none of us signed up to be playing a, a paperwork simulator, right? That's not the part of this game we care about. We we want to do certain things. Everybody might have different things. So simplifications of that to allow an, a decreasing workload on the players would be great. And, oh, well, you might expose their, you know, what will they do then? Well, you know, players can do emergent gameplay. Like, they can they can find things to do. And well, I, I, also, I also think that if you limit the game by forcing players to all this complexity with contracts and stuff, you're actually also severely limiting the effectiveness of corporations. 100%. That's what I've, one of the things I've noticed in in the corp i'm in is a lot of stuff a lot of stuff happens in discord by and then an equivalent action happens in game with an ads put up or a contract is sent and it takes a lot of fiddly bits on on the game side to actually execute something that was very simple to say i need 100 drinking water and so well, and and the thing is too back to that x4 example lex like i played x4 myself you know, we talk about all the automation that happens, right? So, like, you have your space station, and then you have your trading ships, and then you have your mining ships, and all this jazz. But what is it leading up to? Like, what is this all leading up to? And the answer is, it's leading up to the thing that we all love to do, which is, like, these massive space battles, right? These massive, like, you build ships and, and go battle other factions, and that's what we enjoy doing. And an equivalency of that in, in our space, in our game, really is that idea of, like, okay, there's no war, and that's fine, that's fine. I, I don't really care. But it really is like owning space stations, making markets, uh, stock trading, things like that, that 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 we would enjoy doing. But you can't you can't get there unless you have this really base base kind of set in terms of like all the traffic moving around the place. And, you know, I I hate to say it. And, you know, I actually had some fairly I had some fairly frank conversations with uh, some people when I was playing squad. So squad is. um. 
squad is a 50 v 50 milsim uh fps game really fantastic game but i definitely said i was having this chat with my friend and i said you know there there will come a moment to head where essentially it becomes too little too late right and i i love the devs i really do you know as much as some people give them flack and stuff like that, like the devs are fantastic people. I don't know a lot of devs, actually no, zero devs that, um, you know, you can discord, you can send them a message on discord and they'll like go and fix the game or something like that. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that the devs need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. That's not what I'm saying in the least, but I definitely am like, okay, there needs to be some level of, I would say reality check here. I would say, and I'm, this is probably the first time I'm being a little bit quite critical here because at the end of the day, what are you making? You're making an MMO, right? An MMO is a big project, right? It, it's a, it's a very big project and they've made a, they have made a fantastic game. This is a game like no other. I don't know a lot of games. There's games similar to it for sure, but this, I would feel stands alone, right? And we talked about like that. There's a new, a, like they have created a new genre of game, which is like a menu game. Um, <laughs> You, you know the what their is, big you know what their big danger is? The big danger is somebody else will take this idea and do it better. 100%, 100%. That's and, that's that's the real risk because there's a brilliant game here. Yeah, and here's the thing though. Let's you know what you actually pretty much put the words right, took the words right on my mouth here. So a big problem that I often see in the business world because like I said, I you know I work in marketing and, and jazz like that is the idea that like a, our competitive advantage is price. And I have always said, and this sounds like a marketing podcast now, the minute you compete on price, you have lost. The minute that your competitive advantage is your price, goodbye. You have lost, you've lost it. And 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 you you yeah. And so the thing is, is what I'm saying here is my point being is this is that, you know, devs, you have a fantastic game on your hands. I'm not saying charge more money for it, but what you could do, what you could do. And I, I would say this would work. I, I really do honestly believe that this would work. Is you do have like a tiered system for payments. So for instance, like right now, we kind of have the local market contract system. That's something everybody pays for. And there's a subscription service for that. And that's fantastic, right? It's like eight bucks a month. No sweat, no problem. I, and I enjoy it. I get a lot of enjoyment from this game. I have a lot of fun. And I really do want to support the devs. That is... That is and I feel here's my here's my inner heart heart feeling, is I feel like there's a lot of passionate people for this game. There there's a lot of there's a passionate community for this game, and you know there comes that point and we're we're talking about it at work, you know, about like it, like getting endorsement right and getting endorsement from brands and stuff like that. And I could see where you have, for instance, and and maybe I'll get your guys' thoughts on this is like, you have like a tiered system where it's like, okay, eight bucks gets you the local market con. It gets you the multiplayer of the game. That's, that's really what it is. All this kind of like, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like talk in paragraphs and what explaining what, like I actually just wrote up the licenses video for this game. Uh, I gave it to Nick yesterday, actually. Um, you know, and, and I made this video it was about five minutes long and I talked about all the things all the things, but really I could summarize it in 10 seconds. It unlocks multiplayer. That's what the eight bucks gives you. It gives you multiplayer. You might be like, well, what do you mean? What well, gives you that one, like that interaction between players, but then let's go a step further, guys. Let's go a step further on this. And let's say 16 bucks a month. What is actually, okay. Before I say what I think 16 bucks a month gives you, Dehaz, 
Shoot, what does 16 bucks a month get you? Ah. Mm. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot, but... You are know, putting on me I know spot. your brain thinks really fast, so that's why I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, I can think of a couple of things that I, I, I think uh, better... One way that they could take this, and I have to think about if this is a good, good idea or not, but one way is if you provided um, automation stuff at that higher at a higher tier. So basically what happens is uh, if you expand to a certain number of bases, say 20 bases, your logistics become problematic. And so you could you could have a automation package, a, a set of management tools or whatever that's basically an interface, extra features in the interface that let you manage larger base counts. You could sell that to your invested players. That's one way you could do it. Um, that was the first thing that came to mind, mostly because literally that's the problem that's staring me in the face. <laughs> okay, Lex, what do you think? What is 16 you know, I, you? To be honest, I really not super fond of this idea because I don't like your <laughs> but, but But I'll be clear why. I... And, and when players, he's banned from the podcast, so, everybody. <laughs> so I actually uh, don't mind it in games where you're competing against the game, or you're competing against yourself to have some tiering so that more certain players can achieve more. But when players are competing against each other and there's a little competition, uh, I really get hesitant on the money thing. So I have to think about it. I think there are sure. ways to do it. I just can't immediately off the top of my head go, what advantage would I give somebody to pay more for that I feel wouldn't be a competitive balance thing? And so once I can figure that out, then I'll have an answer. So I'm curious what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, no, and you know what? I'm with Dehaz to some degree, the automation thing. I, yes, I think the automation thing, I would go this direction. And, and Lex, actually, it's funny you bring that up, Lex, because actually I, I thought about those exact same thoughts you just had about balancing, like, and, and being like, like, because then there, you know, we talk about people complaining about the eight bucks a month being like uh, just insane, right? And I'm like, no, that's very, very reasonable in today's economy and, and today's game scope. Um, you, you know what I think the problem with the eight bucks is? I'm going to give an opinion on that. I don't think it's the eight bucks. I think it's for new players who are doing two things a day. Eight bucks seems like a lot of money. You know what? You are not wrong. You are 100% well, that's, correct. That's where I was going is, is they need to align the price with how invested you are in the game. So at first, basically day one, you need to be able to do whatever you want. <laughs> Because you're logistically, you just can't do much yet. But then as you grow, you need access to more things to be able to, maybe um, the custom contracts thing is, is behind that paywall and the other th stuff where you're doing more complex things, you want to do more multiplayer stuff. So you go do that. But local market is available day one because you can go grab a shipping ad, ad and go do your stuff. And so then as you get introduced to the game and you can do more and more complex things, then buying higher tiers allows you to play more and more parts of the game, but the fundamentals all stay the same for everyone. It's just, do you want to man manually manage 30 bases or do you want to have some automation help you manage 30 bases? Yeah. That's, well, and that's better for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, and here's where, and this is why I built, and I've kind of already alluded to it, but really that's where I, that's what I really addressed with the tutorial series. 
hardcore. I, I had some really, I had some fantastic chats with Nick. Uh, he, really great guy. I love him. Uh, I really enjoy him. And I, I kind of said to him, you know, like, okay, the shipping, I understand it. I understand what we're doing here with shipping, but like, we have to make it a lot more clear that this is not an integral part of the game because it's not. Uh, it is a part for sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, maybe I am, but I'm not trying to like dilute it and say that's not important. It is important, but is it, is it 33% of the game? Is it 33% of the, no, it's not. It's, it's like, it's 10. And like the idea that you can make a career out of shipping, that's also a falsity. You, you can't make a career out of shipping. And so here's where I go with it. I 16- did the ROI calculation. If you want to pay off a three and a half million dollar ship by fulfilling shipping ads, which is, by the way, a fairly cheap uh, FTL ship. So if you want to pay off a a pretty cheap FTL ship um, with a 2K bay based on shipping ads alone, so all you're doing is shipping stuff, it will take you a year, (laughs) roughly. Yeah, it's not very efficient. Well, and here's (laughs) where we go back to the idea of what what does that eight bucks get you? You said it perfect. I think Lex, forgive me, Lex, uh, you said it or Deha said it about that, like the game needs to scale, right? Appropriate. I think it was you, Lex, that yeah. said that. It does. And how does it scale? By communicating that a lot more clearly, right? A lot more clearly in the sense that, and maybe I should, maybe I should just make up my own video about like what, what it did. Because at the end of the day, you can play this game for a very long time before you hit limits. Uh, people are like, for instance, one of the things was like, oh, I can only have two ships? That sucks. Like, I- I'm never going to be able to play this game because I only have two ships. And then I'm like, oh, au contraire. Everybody else only has two ships too. And most of us have been playing for a year, right? <laughs> you know, it's like... And by the way, that's that's an example of ignorance causing an impression, right? 100% it is. I wouldn't know that as a new player. I'd imagine that players are building ships all the time. Yeah. Because yeah. to be honest, in a normal game that's not so constrained, that's exactly what they would do. 100%. Right? So, so it's that, completely base, normal expectation. And the base thing too, to add insult to injury, the base thing too, it's like that you can only have five bases, right? And it's like, oh, I'll never be able to get my Galactic Empire. Here's a fun fact. I don't know if you guys knew this, Lex or Dehas. Did you guys know that you can actually get a pro license, build a whole bunch of bases, and then you can, uh, oh, I don't want to misquote here what I think is. I have two things. I, I believe it's that you just can't build any more. So you can get rid of your pro and you can keep all the bases you have. Yeah, I think that, I that think would be, diff- it'd be difficult for that to work any other yeah. way. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting some of the mechanics here that's are at play. But like, so I think it's beautiful actually how they actually have it scaled. Weirdly enough, I think it's actually very, very smart. Whereby, whereby, what it what does the eight bucks a month get you? Welcome to multiplayer. Like, welcome to the community. Welcome to the, the to the hardcore players that are actually like like doing deals and all this jazz. Like, so if you want to get like if you're kind of like a rinky dink player and you're like new to the game and you're fresh off the boat, great, great. Trade on CXs, have a lot of fun doing it. Is, it's fun. You can get some arbitrage opportunities. You can research and understand. Great. And that's and a I th- great way. I, th- I think I think that local market shipping ads should be available to new players, non pro. I, I, I agree. Um, maybe yeah. not 
uh, buy and sell on local markets, but just the shipping ad should be available to new players. And I think three players, and then you get, what, five bases, you have your initial two ships. Like, I think that's great. You can do a lot with that for a very long time on free and have a lot of fun. I'm not going to disagree, but I'm going to hesitate on that. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, you know what? I'm going to disagree. <laughs> Here's why. Um, the eight bucks a month also protects us. Because I want you to think for a second how easy it would be to pirate, grief, troll the game if you just gave free players the opportunity to use shipping contracts. I actually this is think one it's of the reasons I... brilliant. I, I, this is one of the reasons I think that piracy in the game as implemented is broken is because it prevents you from doing this simple thing that would make the game so much better. And I think having allowing shipping contracts to uh, new players, to free players, would increase their enjoyment and increase the retention rates, which I think is critical to the su- success of this game. Allowing so, people to pirate contracts is not critical to the success yeah. of this game. When you when you get down to it at the end, right? The whole the whole thing with free to play that is the contract that's always being given there is if you're free to play, you're doing one of two things, right? You're either providing a way for the big fancy players to keep score, essentially. Hey, look at us! You know, look how much better I'm doing than the guy who's not spending a billion dollars which is the microtransaction model with all of its weaknesses. Or you are basically giving people enough of an experience to enjoy playing, and then when they're ready, they pay and really get the game, right? It's, those are the two models. And this game uses kind of a middle model that doesn't quite do either one, I think, is my opinion. And well, the other thing so is, is this game... Yeah, it, I think there's the other thing that it, this game does w- could benefit from is just having a lot of free players to generate economy. Yeah, that's the thing. Free players need to be providing something to the paying players is one of the two models, right? Yep. And But being able to participate in the shipping market is not something that I think is bad for other players to do. Like, I don't... I get kind of the whole issue of piracy, but then again, we, we had a piracy conversation last time. I agree with you that this is an example of where you've created a sort of an unnecessary negative, but it's like, what, why is the game free? Like that's, that's the question I would ask. Like, is, is it free to get more engagement? Is it free to provide players something positive? Like what is the, the reason that the game is Price to the way it is, and I think that's where your answer comes from of like what the benefit is. Yeah, well, and um, I, I never kind of answered my what I think. So back to the point about what the sixteen bucks a month will get you, kind of thing. I think the sixteen month, uh, sixteen dollars a month gets you what I would call it the full automation, the full automation and empire, empire like it unlocks empires essentially. Like, okay, what do you mean? So back to the balancing point, I would say this. So everybody that does the $8 a month is given access to purchase or let's say purchase, maybe maybe build or yeah, maybe equip. Let's go that direction, equip. So they're given the opportunity to equip, let's say like a, a basic AI, 
to your ship, right? Like a basic autopilot. And so what that is, is that allows you to fly that ship for a total of, let's say, eight actions. Okay, so an eight action move. So you can you can fly the ship eight actions, right? But then the full automation, so you could get advanced AI on your ship, and that's unlimited action. So you can just keep on doing whatever the heck you want, like a train, right? Bop, 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 bop. But then it also allows you to have, like, get licenses. So, like, players, a new a new type of license that I was thinking, there's, there's two types of licenses. So there's kind of one license right now, base license, right? So everybody has base licenses. But I think it'd be kind of cool if there was two, where it's like, one is like that there'd be a corporate mega structure license. So the corporation could afford and buy on an unlimited, I would say unlimited, amount of mega structure licenses that it's like, but it'd be like a corporate action. Like everybody would have to contribute. Well, not everybody would have to contribute, but like it'd be a big, it'd be a big price tag, right? It'd be like millions of dollars to, to, to purchase a mega structure license, right? And then you have to, then you have to construct the thing, right? So I think that would be the one thing, but then it'd be cool also if players themselves, so back to the $8 a month think maybe, where or free, I'd say free, because that would be a little bit of a too much advantage, where then you could buy um, uh, uh, like uh, space station licenses. So then you can build plots of land or like, you know, areas on space stations. But it'd be kind of cool in the sense that like, you know, you could build certain space stations for certain things, right? So there'd be like the fertility space station. So it would have like, and there'd be certain different upkeep costs based on whatever that space station would look like, right? Um, I think that'd be just so cool. Like, I think that'd be really cool to really put that in the game. And so like, for me, I probably would purchase the $16 a month package. Why? Because I'm a very passionate player and there would be players out there that would purchase these things, maybe corporate leaders or, or people out there, right? It'd be a different tier and and give those opportunities, right? So, um, anyway. I'll, I'll I, to, I'll, oh, sorry. Next. No, I, I, I would just say, I, I, I'll let you in, but paying to play a game is a completely reasonable activity. 100% it is. Right? But, but I think people, but I think some people lose track of that, right? Yeah. And, and the fact that you have to pay, I think I'm not okay with complaints that I have to pay to play the game. I That kind of complaint doesn't really go for me. Stating that they want to try it before they have to pay for it, I think is legitimate, right? I think you should be able to start and experience things. And I think you already can, so I don't think that's that big a deal. But you know, I think this this notion that it should be free, if anybody thinks that, I think they need to like reconsider their priorities. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, 100%. Well, and uh, sorry, it's funny. We kind of got way off topic, and you know what? I'm... Good topic. I'm pretty okay with it. I, it was a great topic. Um, I, I love I love chatting about the end game and what could be and and I just I hope that the devs listening, if there's devs listening, like we love you guys. Uh, you guys, <laughs> rock stars in my books. I don't know about Lex's books, but my the, books. So <laughs> the, here, here's the biggest thing I could say. We have a podcast that we've been doing repeatedly because we very much enjoy this game. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the 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 complaints come in to. We want a better game than we have, not we don't enjoy the one we're playing. There's a difference there. It's subtle. Yeah. And uh, and I also completely understand that they have limits to what they can do. It's so in a, in a sense, a lot of me is just trying to maybe get some things prioritized that, you know, hey, prioritize these things because they have they have to choose. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, I'm taking us off topic again. No, 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 I agree 100%. And that's, you know, that's why I'm working on the tutorials. And that's why I'm putting 
a lot of my own passion and, and effort into tutorials, uh, writing them and, and really giving a lot of hard thought. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not going to be perfect and there's probably going to be people that are going to criticize me about the like, Pearl, why didn't you talk about this or that? But, and that's fine. You know what? I put my best foot forward at the end of the day uh, for what I could do. Like, I'm, this isn't my full-time job either, right? I, although I'm getting paid, it's still very much a very almost casual, not even part-time. It's a very casual job uh, that I've been hired to do. So, um, but back to the corporate comms, um, I'll, 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 be, I'll kind of be quick with this because we've kind of, we've almost uh, hit 45 minutes on the podcast here, but I just bring up some of the things that's kind of been, um, and this will probably lead us into our next segments, actually, that Lex will be leading us through here tonight. Um, but I just wanted to kind of chat about, like, yeah, what's been happening in NASA Mercantile Land and, and all this jazz, and maybe what's happening in Seapair Land. Uh, so for those that don't know, and it's funny because actually uh, Plex, uh, uh, Plex brought this to the forefront. So Plex, he is the, uh, he is the governor of a planet called Malahat. And one of our court mates brought it to our attention that Malahat is kind of an engineer uh, solstice or uh, uh, solace. Sorry, that's what I'm looking for. And it, it's it's just a fantastic planet where engineers grow. Funny and, and populations grow. But yes, so lots of engineers on the planet. And so we decided to go plant uh, some money making bases down in Malahat land. And so myself and a few others, there's a few others I actually just saw. I just looking at the comms channel now. There's a few others that have joined in on the fun. Um, but yeah, we're planting our bases down there. Now you might be saying, okay, well, that's cool. What next? So right now, one of the things that we're working on, and I've been taking a look at this week, and we've kind of been, we have a certain spreadsheet that we've been building out um, and mapping out is RFABs. So we're going after, or AFABs, my pardon. So we are going after AFABs because uh, that's our next kind of uh, subject. And the cool thing about AFABs that I realized, and this is kind of a little hot tip for everybody, AFABs, weirdly enough, like you might be like, oh, wow, AFABs, like that's pretty heavy stuff. AFABs only require technicians to build. Like the entire chain of AFABs, I I was actually shocked to learn this. I was expecting to see like scientists on AFABs. But actually, funny enough, the entire chain, so you talk about complexity, this is actually one chain in particular that's fairly easy to understand and build. Keep in mind, they would, they, you couldn't make something that, uses science is entirely like they they had some design limits there right they have to be make they can't have something that relies on scientists require (laughs) scientists to make like that's there's a little a little bit of that yeah (laughs) what came first chicken or the egg um but you know so um what I was going to say is so, yeah, so that's kind of a new kind of development in the corporation is we've learned and we've mapped out now all the AFABs inside and like how to build AFABs with inside the game. And then now I've built out a chain for RFABs and LFABs. And then we obviously do some BFABs obviously right now as well. And so you might be like, well, why? Well, after our chats with Gravy and uh, Goalie, especially Gravy kind of brought it to our attention, my attention, especially reading between the lines that, you know, going after AFABs was the logical next step in this whole shebang, right? So going after AFABs, and that jazz that's been kind of uh that's been our big thing um and then just taking it from there you know we obviously want to go after ship parts like we're going after uh big ships but somebody brought up the point that maybe actually it might be better to go after ship upgrades instead maybe you know we're biting off a little bit more than we can chew and it might be more beneficial for us to get our belt like get under our belts like really quick ship upgrades like wouldn't that be like lex wouldn't that be fat like really cool 
and I, I got thinking about this. I haven't told you this, but you know, I got thinking about it. It'd be really cool if we could equip, like one thing that we could do for the galaxy, like right now kind of thing would be is equip tons of ships with upgrades. Like if we could upgrade everybody's ship to like 3000 ton haulers, right? That to me is a more manageable goal right now. And that's something that we could probably achieve, right? And, and understand where these bottlenecks, uh, where we're going to face these bottlenecks. And so um, where we're going to be going next after our AFABs, because we need to construct the buildings, right? And actually I'm looking at the thing right now is AFABs are really hard to come by. So if we can, first of all, get AFABs to uh, a decent uh, output. So if we can output AFABs at a decent rate, uh, so for our buildings, and then we're going to go after hard to find consumables. And it's funny, I'm actually working on trying to get engineer consumables right now. And I cannot find smart spacesuits and I can't find, uh, what's the other thing I can't find right now? Smart spacesuits and PDAs <laughs> in the Benton system. And I'm like, dang it. Um, <laughs> and so if we're able to produce those things in a decent quantity, that'll be the next thing. Because then the next component is going to be ship parts. Because these ship parts require engineers, scientists, all this jazz. Now, here's kind of the biggest takeaway. And I'll end, I'll end this segment with this. I'll end the segment, then we'll hop into Lex's segment. Um, the biggest thing I learned from the podcast and like the corporate comms talking about like where we're going to go next and the biggest revelation, and I, I have brought uh, it up. Late, late, later segment. Got a later segment on that one, Perry. What? About things we've learned. Oh, yeah, no, 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 sorry. Just no, no like my own musings, my own musings. Not the oh, okay, fair enough. My, my fair own enough. musings is, is really at the end of the day, um, and I've, I've mentioned this, I don't know if you read between the lines here, Lex, but like, we're going to stop having, like, we're going to have to stop producing fuel. Like we're going to, I, I was actually going to mention to you, I, I actually agree with you on that. I'm actually downscaling my fuel production. Yeah. We are going to stop producing this, just things that everybody else is producing. And we are going to go after the big boy stuff, such as bigger consumables things that like more advanced mature players such as ourselves will go after we'll leave we'll leave to the fuel markets and all that other jazz to to other people while we're gonna go after some bigger fish on our hands because um i forget who i think it was grady or goalie brought it up you know that it's kind of like you know we have to mature we have to the air is going to get thin so we need to start climbing the mountain now and that's what we're going to be doing as a corporation it's it's interesting because i i have some specific like because i'm just a member of the corporation but so how i'm actually trying to support that so first thing is i've actually gone to my hydrogen supplier and told him i'm at least having my fuel production because i interesting enough i may actually end up using katoa for engineers that's like we could talk about that but it's like I'm going to have space. I already have a base. I may build an engineering capability there and figure yeah. out what to do with it. But the I've I actually have next step for me, and I've already got the I've got the last part to upgrade. I've I've got my ships ready to go to Etherwind and get into that game because I I need the, I need money, and so I'm working on that. And then as I think I've told you, we talked about it. But I don't think I really. I want to be a full service fab producer. Like that's the business I want to get into I, that. And I want to get into gold production just because you keep talking about gold and I'm like, oh, I want to make gold just a weird thing. But, but I'm actually rescaling that. I, I'm probably not, I'm going to tear down about half of my uh, refineries and those things. I'll use the parts to keep the other ones repaired. So I don't have to spend any money 
and then I'll create a bunch of space, which I'll start putting down engineer capabilities and, and really start supporting these things. Because I've already got BFABs. I can do BFABs today. Uh, I do not have PP4s to make RFABs, but that's kind of like a – it's either next step uh, – no, RFABs first. Um, PP3s, to do other PP3s are- uh, no you're right PP3s so I got it right. so the next one is will be yeah you're right so PP3s to be able to make those because th- those scale up because if you actually look at the formulas for that most of the things most of the RFABs require things that you would need from basically you bake you bake the lower level stuff and then you build into it exactly. I, I know compound already does that but I want to be another person but this is actually a specific goal because I think that I think you've hit on a key point which is that we we need to do a lot more production capability, particularly at the higher level stuff. How that you know that how that fits into shipbuilding, I'm not hundred percent sure. But yeah, you, you both, by the way, the, this couple, you both totally convinced me to get into the the drinking water game. So I am uh, I've got about half of the parts I need for a full base that are ready. As soon as I can sell a couple more things, and my next flight is out to either win and down goes the base and up come the rigs. And uh, the price. It's, it's such an easy, like, I would, like, anybody, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, and, and maybe to my own peril to some degree, anybody that's listening to this podcast wondering what is Pear's number one recommended base to set up, go to Etherwind and build a drinking water base. It is so easy, it hurts, and it gives you so much money. It is the ba- is the single most parameter is good too. You know what? It, maybe it goes like this: parameter then Etherwind. But but if if parameter is too busy for you and you feel like coming to Benton Space and setting up shop there, go to Etherwind because all you need to do is provide rations and overalls, and the rest solves itself. <laughs> right? It's it. Yeah, but I, I actually agree with you, and I sat down and and finally committed to it. Um, that the. Really, because I've hit the point where my biggest problem right now, I'm actually in that short-term liquidity problem. I I can produce things now, and I can make the basic uh, beef halves. I'm really glad to be able to do that, but I need I need like a money maker next. I just have to do that to accelerate a little bit, and so Etherwind is is going to be the place to do that. And I actually am downscaling my fuel production. The reality is is that to be completely clear, anyone who's making fuel today in Katoa. If you send it to Antares, you're making good money. It's a good thing to do. But for where we're going as a corporation, I, I need to get out of business. I need the other ship. I need to get yeah. back into the... Well, Katoa is a great engineer base, like you said. It's a yeah. fantastic engineer planet. We're just yeah. wasting our time not setting up engineer stuff there. And, and I've I've basically decided to go that direction. So I'm one of the people in the group. I'm, I'm totally bought into to this whole process, and if basically sort of revamped. I'm I'm moving more heavily into Antares space. I'm committing to essentially a money maker with a couple of things, and then I'm putting up those fab productions. That's that's you know, AFABs are a goal for me, but I honestly want to get all the intermediary parts. I want to be able to do all the interim fab production. To help the corp and then sell and 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 uh, I sold some to Des the other day and he he sold some stuff to me that was pretty cool I that was actually kind of fun but uh, it was the first time I've actually sold the fabs to the specific person so I was really excited that's awesome but it, it's a small thing right it's like I, I I didn't make a ridiculous amount of money but I got a lot of happiness which is something that I think is easy to forget mm-hmm. in all these conversations right I did something that I enjoyed yeah it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, actually, sorry, it's really interesting because uh, I mean I sell a lot of consumables at significantly below CX prices 
but I have a lot of fun doing it. Like as I'm doing great deals with people and I'm delivering stuff to the, to actual individuals rather than just some, you know, random price on the CX. There's place for the CX, but doing business with other people is more enjoyable. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. No, and and yeah, it, it is. It, and so really that's that's corporate comms. I'll end, I'll end I'm going to end it with this one one last kind of parting note before uh, we'll, we'll take a five and then we'll hop in Alexis section here. Uh, and that is very much, like I said, it, first of all, a lot of text. But here, I'm going to encourage any maybe newer players that are maybe, or even medium player, like mid-game players that are like looking to, you know, enter enter the, 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 the big boy arena. And that is that our fabs, sure, our fabs, but AFABs actually are fairly easy to produce. They are. So if you're kind of like, I don't know about it, come talk to me. Come talk to me and I'll show you how it's done. I, I've already mapped it all out. We, we have a good map. And honestly speaking, it, it's 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 fairly easy. I, I, I We've mapped out all the planets. We know where we're going. Um, it, it's one of those things that like comparatively to shipbuilding, which is freaking ridiculous, uh, going into AFABs is actually probably easy, easy end game industry for some people. And I think it's a really good one. So... Um, I'm going to end it there, though. Thank you very much, guys, for your uh, contributions to the discussion. And I know we kind of went off topic, but I personally love it when we go off topic. Secret, secret love of mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's take a five minute here, guys. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We just took a... <laughs> short break a 30 minute break <laughs> what a quote short break <laughs> yeah i love it i love it where it is like you will come back in the art <laughs> it is 30 minutes later um but yeah we really hope that you've enjoyed that subject we did kind of go off topic but i think i think we did kind of t- cover two topics in that last discussion which uh i i i think i can define and uh, that's okay you know what sometimes as lex said in the water cooler i love what you put i love what you put lex in the water cooler you're like where is it? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you're kind of like, there's three There's three different ways. And then you're like, and there's a fourth way, which I term the whim of sea pair, or Lex goes on a tangent. Uh, I was like, yeah, that's pretty apt. Uh, speaking of Lexing, Lex going on a tangent, uh, yeah, Lex is going to take us through the... Uh, through sort of our learnings and uh, just a field trip down memory lane a little bit here, so... Without further ado, uh, I will give it over to Lex. So we are having a slight change on this one that we're not having a, a formal water cooler segment this time. But I do briefly, before I go into this, want to make a couple of statements. One, I really have enjoyed the conversations on the water cooler this week. There were some very good ones. Uh, not, I, I do want to acknowledge there was an excellent conversation on inflation. Uh, if the devs are out there and listening, there's always that's. I would love to get some actual data. Uh, one of the problems with talking about this topic is that we're all kind of speculating. And it makes it difficult for us to have a active conversation when we don't actually know anything. So uh, as much as I like that topic, it's not one that I think is really suitable for another go around. We've already gone around it before. But I really do appreciate the conversations. Uh, it's a couple of topics that have come up that I plan to cover next time. But I did want to explain why why the water cooler wasn't going to be a specific focus this time. But it does give us a chance to to go into uh, some of our learnings. As, as anyone's been following our podcast, we've had 
a number of really interesting conversations about uh, shipbuilding and some other topics. And one of the things I wanted to cover now that we're, I think, is this episode nine now? I can't recall. This is episode nine, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the first Jeez, two this were is episode nine. Oh, yeah, so so we both basically. I think I joined nine at episode weeks. three. Yeah, and Des I think joined at uh, four. And so one of the things that's happened is is that when we all started, we will all acknowledge that we were newbies to the game in a lot of ways. And I specifically remember going back and thinking about some of the things we talked about at the beginning. And realizing now that we've had these good conversations, people have come in, we've had plenty of corporate conversations, people have been learning, that I wanted to give everyone a chance to talk about sort of what they've learned and might, and if particularly anything you might have adjusted in your opinion since prior podcasts. And I will uh, I will probably start with myself to sort of get, get it going and, and jump to everybody else. I, I think the thing that I would say that's changed for me is an appreciation for all of the back-end things that are going on in the economy that I just wasn't aware of, right? As a new player, you kind of see a CX. It doesn't look... There's a lot of things missing, and you're like, well, where do those things come from? And a lot of... I had a lot of speculation, but one of the things that I've really appreciated with the last few conversations is it's given me a sense of how much is going on at a corporate level, uh, how many things are going on that... Yeah, these things are being filled in, but they're being filled in by very experienced characters or players in the game playing their various corporations. And to me, that was not something I think I had a full appreciation on. And it's changed my perspective on how certain things can be done. Like I'm not as optimistic that we can just go make ship parts and dump them on the market. I've, I've That seemed like a good idea. I like it. But listening to people talk about how difficult it is to build those things it's I suspect we're going to end up selling it to buyers about as fast as we make it, for example. So that's a, that's something I would say that I've learned. And I just kind of want to open it from there of like how people's perspective have changed from where we started. Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I knew that shipbuilding was going to be a difficult one. I knew that it was going to like, I, you know, when bedtime built out prosper, and I finally got a chance to take a look at it. And I did that video about, um, about uh, I think it was either the planet starts. It wasn't about five things, but I think it was the planet starts. Uh, it might have been the secret t- trade thing. Anywho, regardless, uh, you know, when I, then I built it this. I kind of photoshopped it all together. I photoshopped all the parts together. And I was like, woof, this is, this is big. This is big. This is way bigger than I kind of imagined. And as we're mapping things out, um, yeah, it's even more apparent, uh, now more than ever that it, it's quite, it's quite intense, right? So that's not necessarily it, but I would say the big thing that I've learned especially is just like, you know, I'm not alone in, and maybe this is, uh, I don't want to tie the two su- subjects that we got tonight together, but I, I'll, I'll just, I will maybe is, you know, I'm not alone in my difficulties, dealings and what have you not and thoughts, you know, it's very much like, People have also felt and dealt with these difficulties as to shipbuilding. And and it's interesting that they're like, I'm not the smartest person in the room. There's definitely people that have already kind of approached this problem and been like, okay, here's our solutions that we came up with, right? And one of the big ones, I would say that this has been large in part is like, you know, me and Lex, it's no secret. I don't know about Death has if you play it as well, but, um, you know, Factorio, right? Like we're, we're avid Factorio players. And I am um, as well. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it kind of attract it really attracts those type of people. Um 
and, and for good reason. And, and and so one of the things is is in Factorio, you know, there's something called a spaghetti base, right? And a spaghetti base, for those that don't know, it's kind of a funny meme meme of a base, but essentially it's just like where you don't really have any like structure or order to the base. You just kind of like build things as you need, right? And it's 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 funny. It's funny to look at, but to the serious Factorio players out there, um, it's it's probably like not recommended, right? It's not something that's oh, recommended. And it's not something that people like were like, yeah, let's do it, right? But then you come to this game, and it's like, uh, little did I know that that's actually the only thing that's recommended is that you build out a spaghetti base system for shipbuilding. And so I scratch my head, and I'm just like, what the hell? And I wondered to myself, I'm like, really, is that is that kind of the case? And and why that is, is because just simply put, you're dealing with not just yourself, right? When you have just yourself, you can easily build out very structured things and very organized things. But when you're dealing with lots of people and the complexity grows and, and everybody has a different way of doing things and different schedules and what have you not, it just, it's funny, it's more organized chaos, if anything else. And you have to embrace that organized chaos, right? Um that's I think the big thing I've I've learned in terms of from this podcast. I've really noticed in in the corporate conversations, which you know I, I can tell sometimes reflect our learnings, that you've had to make a lot of adaptation to the approach, and and we're so it's interesting. Like you, know, I remember the original charts of hey we're going to go do X, and I have not seen as much we're going to go do X. It's it's more like we've got a problem we got to solve. And we need to start solving it, right? Like a very different sort of philosophy of, you know, for me, I think the one of the comments that really struck me, it was on the last podcast, was just nobody has a solution for the problem of the fact that they're going to have parts of their chain that they have to rely on that they just don't know if they can. That that's, that they're, you, you, you can't have, you can't do everything and you're just going to have to have, some expectation that people in your corporation or group are going to be able to provide that. And uh, I was speaking, remember um, gravy talking about they've had, they've had people in their corporation just leave and they're like, well, we're going to have to slow the pace down until that person gets back. Cause nobody wants to fill in that capability. Yeah. yeah. That was surprising. Oh, yeah. That was sorry. And it can also be really hard if you do want to fill in the capability to go you, cause you have to source all the fabs to build out the base and, or, you know, however you you're going to retool an existing base or something like that can be a time consuming process to just flip into some other product line. Um, and that takes time and effort and energy. And so, yeah, it's always a risk that somebody's just going to up and leave or go on vacation or just disappear. But there's no I, other way to do it. I think what surprised me on that topic was how robust the tier one market is right i'm used to games in which the tier one market is dead right all the the players have all skilled up and and i've played massive multiplayers for a long time i don't do much anymore but and i was a crafter because i'm just that guy right and the thing i always noticed in those crafting systems is they had like seven or eight layers of crafting but very quickly the first seven layers made crap nobody wanted to buy right just junk so I came in expecting that there would be more focus on the higher tier parts as a primary business. And yet I've learned from listening to pretty much everybody that you, you've got a couple of market makers that are big money, but 
the amount of money you can make on tier one consumables is is nothing to sneeze at. Like it's really fascinated me how different this market is than I would have thought. And that that to me has been interesting learning, just because it's it's not how most games do it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You're right. Uh, you're. It's almost like an inverse of a typical MMO, right? Where it's very much like, yeah, you said it perfectly. Everybody's skilled up. Everybody's gotten to like every like the common loot is junk, right? Everybody just disassembles the common loot for like spare parts or something like that. And but uh, yeah, and and it's funny. It goes back to that conversation we were just having before the break that um, you know we're realizing now we're we are leveling up, right? That's that the base is not the true the base is not the true leveling system. The Real ID enlightenment is the true leveling system where it's like, okay, you know what? Now we got to move on. <laughs> we got to move on past tier one and, and getting to bigger and better stuff. I, I to this day was still it. I, I would say I had a blind spot for drinking water just because I'm, I'm could not have imagined that there would be any profit at all in such a basic commodity. I'm like, everybody will make it. There's, there can't be any money in it. And I've turned out to be completely wrong on that topic. Like that was, Probably the fuel is a good choice, but drinking water in some ways is better, and I just would not have even seen it. You guys have really... You you have spoiled my first uh, (laughs) lesson learned. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> that's, that's the thing I was going to bring up is I I went into consumables assuming and expecting that I was just going to take thin margins... And I needed to do it at scale to to be able to do it. I, I that turns out not to be that true. I seem to be making an above average profit by just doing consumables, um, and, and that was unexpected. And I, I I suspect, and this is a guess, that that's because the players with all the money are wanting to do other things, but it also because the things you're making everything needs. Yeah, and I think I think it's two things. Number one, it's easy to make, and so it doesn't need a lot of complex inputs to, that are hard to source. Um, and the inputs aren't that expensive, and they're easy to like. You can just go set up a a, a rig, a bunch of rigs on Etherwind, and get a lot of H two O, and then uh, use another planet to turn it into drinking water and make a lot of it. Um, and it's it's. A really easy process, but then it turns around and everybody needs it everywhere all the time. Uh, and nobody really wants to be worrying about it. So for the few people who do, um, it's it's easy to sell. And then on top of that, and I think the other piece here is that relative to what uh, the base is making, it doesn't take a lot of drinking water and rations. Um, so it's it's a a small percentage of the overall profit of the base. So people don't aren't as like stingy with it, and I think that's part of the reason uh, that it it gets really good margins is the price is relatively high for what it costs to actually make it because people don't want to do it and that it, but it's not that expensive relative to what what their other, the other things that they're trying to do. Yeah, that's. That still fascinates me. Like that says a great deal about the market, and because I'm not used to it, I, I am so used to simple, easy made to be. And maybe this is the brilliance of the design. I critique the constrained logistics all the time, 
but maybe this is the benefit, right? That in a constrained logistics environment, it's just not worth other players' time to make these things, and that gives you an opportunity you just wouldn't have had otherwise. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, maybe maybe it is. I mean, that's that's essentially how I've made my business. I I deliver lots of consumables to a few players over a few planets. I I must admit, I we just the everybody we we made a deal recently to uh, you you traded consumables and I traded BFABs, and I I loved it. It was just so much fun. Um, it's a small thing, but I really enjoyed it because it's like you're not in that business and I'm not in your business, and we had this very natural agreement we could make. And it was yeah, I got BFABs really cheap, you know, cash wise for something that I make, and you got. Uh, consumables really cheap, so and it worked. It, it was great because I just pumped those things out, and the only thing I ended up having to do was ship in some limestone, and I was going to have to do it anyway. And that that was great. I was it. So that part was was actually kind of cool, right? That that there is in the market. You know, I, I complain about it, and I think that they could solve it even with less constrained logistics. But I love this idea that there are players that are specializing in businesses and working together that to me is just such a great thing to have that um, it creates some risks in the middle and upper tiers when people just aren't able to provide it but on those lower tiers yeah. it when you could get it from the market but there's plenty of reasons to go to other players uh, you know I, I will admit that I, I I told you I was downscaling fuel production in Katoa and the only part of that that bothers me the only part is that for the last three months I have bought regular full supplies of hydrogen from a supplier, and I had to tell them I'm just not going to need as much. And I felt that I felt bad about that. Yeah, right? yeah, that was it. I, I was like, I, part of me is like, do I just want to keep producing it because this guy's been so cool? I just want to make sure that he can produce it. And I talked to him about it. He's like, well, don't worry about it. I mean, it's not like you can't sell it at the CX for a ton of money anyway. But it that that feeling of you know, he he's, he's told me he really enjoys that that relationship. It's just it's been good and solid, and and so yeah, you know, kind of that's that's the only part of that I'm going to miss because I'm still probably going to do half fuel, but I'm not going to do it. I, I need some engineers, and uh, you know, but at the end of the day, that those relationships and the fact that you can have those, and it this game really does have a, a fascinating low tier market with some really interesting things. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that as a beginner, um, all of the the various starts, many of them, I don't, I can't speak for all of them, but I can speak for several of them. Uh, the drinking water and consumable start in particular, it's fascinating to me that the very first thing that you start is profitable uh, relative to other things in the game for the most part. I, I think that's pretty cool, and it gives everybody an opportunity. And yeah, I. To me, that was a big learning. I, I would say, yeah, just looking back for me, really, Dunning-Kruger effect is always a real thing. And even the smartest person is, is subject to it, right? We, When you first play a game, you just have no idea how much you don't know. I have felt that a great deal the last couple months, where it's like some of my original ideas, I look back at it and I'm like, that was just crazy. That's not going to work. Because there is such a complexity in this market. That, that to me, is what I really learned. That this market is far more complex in its depth. This is something you don't see on the CX. You just CX is just stuff being sold. It's when you really start interacting with players 
and a lot of the like things you've talked about, things that guests have talked about, have really given me a sense of of all the goings on. E- even C pairs, I'd say C pairs biggest uh, learning. He hadn't said it is don't be a governor of Katoa, but the uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. And there's a truth to that, right? He we went and did it, and he realized very quickly that there were it wasn't what he thought it was going to be, right? And that conversation has given me a deeper insight into some of the uh, complex relationships. Like I learned so much from this podcast just listening to other people talk about their experiences. It's it's been really eye opening to me. It's a shame. I think a lot of players don't get to have that, at least not to the level I do, um, where it's like I can see things happening. And listen to people talk, and it's like, and there's so much more going on than I thought there was. Yeah. So to give you an idea, something I've realized recently uh, is if you go look at, at the Antares Exchange um, for drinking water. Uh, let me pull it just really roughly over the next ne- uh, past ninety days. We're we're doing what uh, an average of something like. A million was a little bit lower than a million a day. So it's like 800,000 a day in drinking water, which comes out to about 100,000 actual units per day. Is that right? No. 10,000 actual units per day. Yes. That's more like it. Um, I know for a fact that 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 is a fraction if you go actually add up all the populations on the population reports in Antares space, that's a fraction of the consumption of the area. Like it's probably, I don't know, 10, 20%, that kind of fraction. Mm. So huge, huge, huge amounts of the drinking water being moved are not on the market. The CX. Mm. I'm curious how much of that would be self-production and how much of that is internal agreements a great question i don't know because i did the math and we had recently had a scalper doing drinking water oh i still do uh doing drinking water on the cx exchange he bought bought low and jacked the price way up and uh we're trying to undercut under undercut him so that he doesn't win but in the process i figured out i can produce from you know one of my planets i can basically produce enough drinking water to keep most of the the cx satisfied and just uh, supply all the orders and it's not that hard yeah it's interesting so cpair besides don't be a governor of katoa anything else you'd like to add Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I've already kind of stated a few things uh, beforehand about, you know, learnings and jazz like that. Uh, I would say one of the other things, just thinking of how to phrase it. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I, I definitely have learned a lot. I'll, I'll go that direction. I've definitely learned a lot in terms of just like, yeah, I'd say frame of mind especially has been the big thing that I've learned a lot about is is how to change things. And we already kind of chatted about the spaghetti base versus kind of your train base kind of setup. Um, I think too is that, you know, I already kind of alluded to it, but I'll, I'll say it, it this way is that, you know, there is a very passionate community for this game, right? Outside of ourselves. 
sometimes I feel like like I'm the only one that's like really passionate about this game or really excited about this game. But no, there's definitely a lot of players that are out there that are really passionate about this game, really excited about this game. And it's been really encouraging to see when, you know, players, we've had a couple now come to the corporation that have been like, you know, I left this game because X, Y, Z, but I listened to your podcast and and now I'm back at it. Right. And to see that excitement kind of being reinvigorated in those players has been just fantastic. Uh, But I think the big thing really at the end of the day is that this is a slow burn, right? This is a very slow burn of a game. And to say that, you know, oh, you'll get you'll get to like, you know, base number seven in 10 minutes kind of thing. It's just, it's unrealistic, right? Um, and the veteran players know... No, uh, we, we, we have a person who has proven you wrong there talking on this oh. podcast. <laughs> um, but no, uh, you know, the veteran players know that it, it takes it takes time to build good things. And, and uh, I'd say one of the... Let me go this direction, is that this game was built to be played with each other. Right at the end of the day, yes, you could definitely play this game as a solo player, and you could do your own things. But in terms of the level of activity and the level of things we're about to accomplish and go after, um, it, it's meant to be played together. It's meant to be a game that's be to be played together with a community. I would bet money that players that play this game primarily solo have very short lives in this game. Yep. yep. I, I mean, I can't. I have no data on that at all. But it's just, I can't yep. see the. Sorry, good. I was going to say, this would be a very boring game if you weren't playing with other people. And I think I think for some people when they first start... See, this, this is one of the things that the... I, I wish that the game introduced you to the community better because it's there. And once you find it, it's really exciting. Like, you can't use the in-game comms to find anything efficiently. Like, it's there, but it's not great. But... Once you get past that into the discords, and the, then it's like all of a sudden the game opens up. And I really like if that's one of those new th- player things. I, w- I wish new players could experience that more quickly. Because for me, I would say every month that I play so far, my corporate community experiences have only increased my awareness of it. And it is interesting realizing some of the things that I like, I remember the last time Gravy was talking about, we're discussing Umbra and, and, and what we're, he's like, don't do He's like, he what, he's almost wants to shout at like, no, 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 it's terrible advice. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, that, that probably wasn't the best advice. Right. It was, it's, I'd be curious to see if C pair would go back and uh, correct any of his YouTube videos about, you know, <laughs> recommended starts because you do, you do learn, you, you discover it's, it's not, it's yeah. not really what you thought it was. And, well, and, and that's, it's funny because one of my most popular videos is my first video. Obviously, it's my first video, but I think it's it's popular because I have a wrong title on it. It's like preventing bankruptcy. But it's funny, like I made that first video, and I, I hope it's apparent to people. Maybe not. Maybe not actually. But I made that first video almost as a joke to some degree. Like it really was. Like it was actually sort of more of a jokey video then uh, sort of like this is actually real and it's funny that it wasn't until it wasn't until that like it got popular that I was like oh wait I could actually turn this into like a real big thing and so the first video's title is sort of a joke it's like preventing bankruptcy right it's like well no it's not 
it's not here. Like if, if there was an actual like informative title behind preventing bankruptcy, I would be talking about very different subjects, right? Such as cost of goods sold and, and planet starts and things like that. So it's, it's funny because you're right. I go back and look at that and I'm like, oh, geez, like people are probably watching this video because they've gone <laughs> bankrupt and they're like, okay, Pear's going to teach me how to prevent bankruptcy. And I'm like, no, I'm just teaching you how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so now on to the second question, and this is this is a little bit different. So I will say for me, this is the first time I've done a podcast and I will admit to getting into it for a couple of reasons. One as you can probably tell, I love talking, and this is a wonderful place to do that. The other thing is, is that my son is a streamer, and I've been hoping to take advantage of learnings here to give it to him. He's, uh, I don't get to see him as much as I'd like, he's, even though he's in the same town now, it's like, he's just busy. But for me, I, it's what have you changed about the podcast, and, and what have you learned doing it? I know uh, it sounds like both of you have some prior experience. I had none, so for me, it was very new. I will say for me, something that I that I would say has really changed in, in my understanding of podcasts, and this is something I, I would share to listeners, is I knew this conceptually, but I've really seen it lately, how important the editing is. And I, and I, I definitely want to give you credit, Perry. You, you really tighten up a lot of this in the editing. And it's interesting to see, like, I'll do the presentation and I'll, I'll work it all out and I'll see all these spots where I feel like it didn't quite work or it was a little bit off. And then we'll get to the edit and the edit will clean that stuff up. And it's, I think it's interesting to me just how, how much of the sausage people don't actually get see being made, which is probably a good thing. But to me, I would start with that one that I've, I've really learned a lot more about how the edit really cleans these things up. Um, but I was going to ask like, what has changed about your approach to the podcast? And I would say we're doing things very differently than we started. So I, I know it's been a journey, but what have other people experienced while doing this? Uh, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say for me, it's been almost, uh, I'd say the perfect definition to describe what it has been is maturity at the end of the day, right? Maturity. And it's that idea that it's like, yeah, at first it was sort of like, whatever, let her rip. Like, who cares, right? Like, it's it was very much like all this jazz. And I think it was sort of like people's care and people's comments and people's interaction with us that made me sort of like sober up to some degree and really be like, okay, you know what? Like, this is a, this is a real thing. This is a thing that people want to listen to and want to engage with and i think we deserve it to our audience to you know uh like you said tighten up things um and that's been and, and be more conscientious of time for sure um you know the last podcast was like two hours instead of four hours right so right there is there's an example right and and being more mature about how we go about it i think also too just being more mature as much as i like yes i enjoy comedy podcasts uh i think that's no secret I enjoy a good laugh. I enjoy, you know, just hilarious, hilariousness. Um, you know, what is this podcast and what are we trying to do? And there's part of me that's like, you know, people should be happy with me, right? Like, I don't want to pretend to be somebody else I'm not, right? So it's like, 
I definitely want this to be enjoyable for myself. It sounds kind of selfish, but it's true, right? It's like I'm doing, I'm putting in all the work, I'm putting in the effort. It's like I do want some level of enjoyment from this and and do enjoy it. Um, so it's it's a fine balance, I would say. Um, I'll, I'll be I'll be frank. I'm I'm just gonna be very honest here. You know, the big thing is is um, it really is that idea that it's like sometimes I. I wish that we could be a little bit more funnier or that we could be more comedic or more humorous in what we do. Um, but in the same stroke of imagination, I know that any good partnership such as me and Lex, it is a give and take, right? It's, it's a relationship. It's not so much, uh, it's not, it's yes. Although my, my name is on the podcast. Um, I know that it like, and I was very clear with Lex when we kind of started chatting about like him coming onto the podcast, I was very clear with him right from the get go. I was like, you know, what do you want? What do you want from this podcast? And what do you like, how much, how much ownership do you want of this podcast? Right. And I think I'll be honest and say, I think at the time I, I don't like, I don't know. I can't, I don't want to speak for Lex, but I think I felt at least let's go that direction. I felt like we didn't define it well. And that's nobody. That's nobody's fault. I think it's just me and me and Lex didn't really know, right? It was just kind of like, let's just see where this goes, right? And 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 so that and it's it's formed naturally. It's evolved, right? It's it's evolved naturally into what it is today. And so, do I wish that we could do uh, certain things a different way? Yeah, for sure. But like, this isn't just me now anymore and i think that's been a big realization is that 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 this is like you know i dare say all three of us and that this is also the audience as well right the audience expects something you guys expect something and it's like my expectations i have to sometimes temper those down and be like yeah i want this but this is actually what we're trying to do here i I will say i think you've probably edited out you probably edited out more humor than i thought you would to be honest um and, and and to be fair, this is a pretty serious podcast about a game where people are taking it real serious. So it's kind of hard. To, <laughs> it's kind of hard to be too silly, right? It, it the the funny thing is, I remember you had a comment. So you, we we will have like afterward briefing things, and just so anyone's listening, so we'll talk about you know where it's going. I will say it's interesting how often you and I are in agreement about what we think we should improve. Like we have quite a bit of agreement there, which is interesting because we're both so different personalities. That it always fascinates me when we both kind of end up in the same place. Well, but can I just, uh, can I just, yeah. can I just interrupt yeah. there and say, I would say, I'd say it's fair to say we are in agreement. We are in agreement. And like, I'm not trying to be harsh. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> makes it sound so harsh. No, it's, it's true. Like, I'm a very agreeable person. But I'd say back to that original point is it exactly, and I, and I think that's part, part of, maturing as a person, right? As becoming an older adult is too, is like, you're not going to get your way hundred percent of the time. And so it's like, we're in agreement because I've given a little bit and you've probably given a little bit too. Is that hundred percent what I want? Is it hundred percent what you want? No. Right. And that's what agreement is about, right? It's like coming to, uh, coming to a middle ground and you're right though. I feel like, like in a stick shift, like it's, it's like sometimes the throw is long and sometimes the throw is short. And I feel like our throw is short, right? That we can come to an agreement faster and quicker because we're, e- we're, we're both easily able to give up a little. I feel like you've probably given up. So like you'd probably want to be this way with it and I'd want to be this way. And we're able to give up a lot quicker the things that we might want that we might disagree with, right? And that's just what makes us so great, honestly. 
I I will admit that that for me, it's it's the analyzing it after the fact and and realizing what works and doesn't has been it, it, what really works for us to this point is. I would actually enjoy more humor. I, I like a good joke, but I, I will admit that the jokes I like are a little bit nerdy, a lot of puns, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, just just raw silliness, frankly, annoys me, particularly when I'm on a topic. But it annoys me for reasons that have nothing to do with you. It's because I'm such a intellectually intense person. Uh, people that know me that want to like throw me off because they're getting bored will start joking with me to distract it. And as I've gotten a little older, a little more mature, I'm like, okay, that's a signal. Shut up. It's time to move on. But it's still the back of my head creates irritation. And I, I don't ever want that to come off as anything. Like, it's just I get irritated when I'm being intense. But at the same time, I, I do love the humor things. Like, like I keep joking about the governor thing, but, you know, I I, I get the sense that's a, a touchy point. I, no, it's I won't not. Bring it up. No, no, no. But, but, but it's like, you know, there there are funny things that happen. And and I can sense your humor. Uh, so one of the things that that you might amuse you is, so and, and this is you know, not to be taken in any crazy way, but your personality of moving from topic to topic. Uh, my wife is like that. That's the way her personality is. So I'm actually very used to it. And so sometimes when I'm watching you and go, and I'm like, okay, I see his, his mind is just going to do what it's going to. I need to shut up and let it build. Because magic will happen at that point, and that's one of the things that one of the things I've had to learn is let the magic happen. Um, I, I remember you and I had one podcast in particular we had really critiqued hard, and the thing that came out of that was was that, po- was that podcast yeah, episode Lex? Yes, the, 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 the yes the, the the famous train wreck sequence, and we yes we had one sequence that I later described behind the scenes is I thought that was both really great and a train wreck. It had elements of both. And the thing that I remember coming out of that for myself was I needed to let the, I needed to let the guests breathe, let the topics breathe. That to me has probably been the biggest change in my approach. It's not about what I want to talk about. It's about what the conversation is doing and what people are finding interesting. And for me, that's, you talk about what I've given up. Uh, that's probably the thing I've given up the most is trying to make it so much about the way I'd want to do it and just kind of let things go. And on that note, Des has been sitting patiently. I would love to hear what he has to <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I think there's there's two main things that I've learned. Um, I it, It's interesting, the edit side, I kind of have the inverse perspective. Um, in that I, most of the media I have produced has been uh, YouTube videos, which I have highly, highly edited and usually scripted. So I, I get to do many retakes on that. I get to cut out large sections, say the same thing five times and pick the best one kind of thing. Um, not so much in a podcast that's a conversation. So that's kind of been a growing a growing pain for me is I've learned to kind of try to, I'm I'm still learning to try to um, get a good first take. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect or anything. It's a podcast, but that's one of the things that I've been trying to be careful about how I say things, what I say and, and, and that kind of stuff. Not, not to destroy the conversation with my off topic nerdiness. Um, Anyway, the other thing, uh, what was the other thing? 
Oh, oh, the other thing is that I've, I think I've learned that I really enjoy creating interactive conversational media rather than a talking head YouTube video. I think those are the two things that I've learned because I really enjoy this format. I really enjoy having the conversations that we've had. Um, and I think it's, it's a lot of fun to interact personally and then uh, have that out in the, the community for them to, to critique and understand and, and uh, enjoy. I, I will admit that the, when I first volunteered to be a guest, it's because I enjoy talking. And I was like, hey, I get a chance to be recorded. And, and I mean, that's just me. I'm selfish that way. But one of the things that I saw that could be really an opportunity was the only real thing I didn't like about the first two episodes was I could tell that Pear was needing somebody to talk against. And you know, I will admit, I wasn't really bought into the guest thing. I really wasn't at first. I, I remember going in, I don't know how this is going to work. Guest shows up, doesn't know what they're doing, completely un not like I'm trained, right? But totally untrained, who knows how it's going to go. It, it could be total chaos. And yet it's turned out to be, I would say, probably the best part. Um, we've had great yeah. guests. And it took me, I think, two podcasts to figure out how to really get the guests to really bring out the most of the guests. I'm still learning, but it was like, okay, the guests are the thing. And how do I make that the most? And this conversational format, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a much better format than a lot of other formats. I think it really brings out things. And I'm always, I always enjoy in like the water cooler when people respond to something and it's like okay they were listening they heard it and it's like okay that that caught them i love that part um but yeah for me the best parts about it is that we've always been kind of trying to be clear that none of us are experts and particularly when you don't have an expert who knows the topic super 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 deeply um it is better to have many conversations, many perspectives that it kind of interact in the conversation rather than some one individual laying it out there. I think, I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. Does anybody so, else want to add? No, that's great. But anybody else have anything they'd like to add or we, before we kind of move on? I would say one last part. Uh, I'll, I'll end with my final comment being is just one last thing is just like how much I've enjoyed it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, going into this, like I, the, the videos are work, but I do it for a very altruistic reason. And I do it to to help the community. I do it to help the community grow and, and do this stuff. But it is work, and I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, I do enjoy it. But definitely it's, um, you know, uh, it, was, it would be something I'd have to do full-time because I already have a full-time job. And so when I do videos and when I, when I start producing them, it is a lot of like, I have to be in the right mindset. Like I have to either have a lot of energy or I have to just kind of be in some sort of flow state where I can kind of make those things happen. The podcast on the other direction, it's very enjoyable for me to do. It really is. Like you said, I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy, I enjoy, I listen to the podcast every week because I have to edit the thing. And I do, I, it's funny, it, you know, we have these conversations, but I actually often nine times out of 10, learn more from listening to the podcast again and like processing it than having a conversation sometimes. And it's great. Cause then I'm like, yeah, then I'll listen to it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like actually the whole thing about like, uh, going after our, uh, going after AFABs 
wasn't in the initial conversation. I didn't even really like pick up on it. And then I listened to it again and I was like, oh yeah, we should do that, shouldn't we? <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. It's just been an absolute delight. So the next segment is one that has kind of come out of comments that have been in prior podcasts and something that I, I'm seeing in some of the discussions. Uh, I'll, I'll, sp- I'll raise an actual specific one that really got me thinking about it was when Des mentioned that he was using DMOS as a food processing base. And it had never occurred to me to even do that. And I'm like, okay, given what he's doing, that actually makes sense. And it gets into, we've talked about this concept of trade secrets, which I think is a little confusing because in some cases it's not always going to be a secret. I think the bigger thing is how much of the game is involving the decisions about how you set up your chain, not the not the materials you need to make, but the choices. And, and I'll, once again, I'll, I'll introduce sort of like where this is coming from. So I am getting into the business of fab production and some types of smelting in the Antares sector. And one of the things that I put a base down on Demos, I'm very happy with the base. It makes aluminum, it's got water and oxygen so I can directly process aluminum. And so I have an in situ type of production there. But I actually ended up putting my fabrication there because it was nice to be able to take the aluminum I created and all I had to bring in was the limestone. But there is actually an alternative that's occurred to me, and I have been pondering lately, just a reverse of this. And limestone and aluminum are relatively similar products in the sense of their, their weight. I don't think I think they're very similar, like 2.7, real close. But the alternative is to go and actually get the limestone off of Nike and then put the fab base there. Right. And I thought about this a great deal of time, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I could I could give myself more capacity to produce the alumina. Because if you've looked at smelting of aluminum, you've got to have several things. I'm currently on-site producing carbon, so I could ship that in, right? So, so an alternative would be I'm just going to do aluminum, and then I'm going to make all the other parts and ship them in. That runs, of course, into logistic limitations. But to me, being able to make the aluminum and smelt it directly on Demos... I thought to myself, I don't necessarily, you know, want to to ship out the aluminum. But the more I've looked at my design, I'm thinking to myself, I probably should have kept, I should have put the PP2s on Nike and shipped the aluminum through, get more aluminum production. And then limestone production is very easy to do. I don't need anything too crazy to do it. And so I would actually make a better use of space and better use of my capacity to do it that way instead of the other one. So that's just a simple example of how this kind of process works. And, you know, when you get into the larger things, this obviously grows. So I, I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, some of the different perspectives on that and, and, and around some specific questions that I write. When you know when we would think that you'd want to do it in situ, that is, you want you want to build the thing there, as opposed to like what Daz brought up earlier, where in his framing, Etherwind is rigs, move the water food processor on another base, whereas the design I have today, do them both on Etherwind and just ship out the finished product. There are arguments either way. But what decides that, like, in your mind, and you guys are working through this, 
what kind of things you think drive this? And you can imagine on larger bases and larger, more complex chains, how this plays out. Where And, and you can think of some of the limitations. I'll just bring them up. You, you have a certain amount of capacity to build on the basis. So anything you build on a basis, something else you can't build there. You've got logistical limitations. Anything that you don't, that's not done on that location has to be shipped somewhere else. You've got problems there, which creates logistical chain challenges. And then, of course, there's just the you know simplicity when you just do something that's simpler and save yourself the trouble of having to do more complex things. So I would open up the topic from there. Uh, that was just a simple example of where I'm going on it. I'm sure other people are thinking about that kind of thing, but uh, I wanted to raise that as a topic. So I have uh, I can tell you exactly why I decided to do Etherwind uh, as that way. Um. And it came down to two kind of fundamental, uh, well, I'll see, two, there's at least one. So, yeah, two fundamental things that I had going for me at the time. Number one is scale. I'm trying to do drinking water at scale. So I need drinking water and rations. So I need a lot of H2O. A lot of H2O. And uh, because there's only so many planets that actually produce it, I need to be maximizing my capacity on those planets. So for me, that's the scale at which you're doing something is actually a big factor here. Because let's say you're trying to produce just enough drinking water for your own planets, and maybe, or maybe even just your corp. Um, that might mean that you can do everything on Etherwind and just shipped out the drinking water, and that's that's all you need. Uh, but that's not what I'm trying to do. So that's I think the the amount of something that you need plays a big factor here. How does that strain your logistics, right? Because the benefit to the in-situ production is that you don't have to pay a logistics price. You don't and have to ship anything in. That is great that you asked that question because that was the other factor is that at the time, the thing, one of the things that enabled me to do that is the purchase of a 2K2K ship. And this one 2K2K ship, literally all it does is go back and forth between uh, Etherwind and Demos, maybe maybe another planet. One of the like Demos, Nike, uh, Ant places. It just goes back and forth from Etherwind to one of those to back to Etherwind to one of those back to Is Etherwind. Is that why Demos has your food production or your food processors? That is one. Yes, Demos has food processors because it's kind of like a central hub. The the space map forks right there, and so it te Demos tends to be a hub for me. And I needed so I that's where uh, a lot of stuff comes in. And the most com one of the most complex things I produce is rations because it needs three different kinds of inputs, um, and I need them at scale. So the, my ration production is on Demos. So it's also the landing point for. Etherwind that then gets split up and goes elsewhere. So you've done sort of a each planet needs to be producing the thing it makes as much as humanly possible, and you're going to take the shipping costs, get it to the hub, produce it, and maximize your ability to produce the raw materials. That's the choice you've made. Yeah. You're not going. You're not going for simple at all with this design. No, I'm so going okay. for maximum output. My ultimate goal is to be able to produce all 100% of the com consumables that are needed for Antari space. 
I, I will admit that for me, one of the reasons I want to get out of fuel is because it's using up one of my ships. I'm, I'm having, I have one ship that's just doing too much back and forth between Katoa and Antares. And yep. I, I need to free that up, right? I'm making good profit on it, and it made a lot of sense. As a new player, it's a fine choice. Not as good as either with drinking water, but it's a fine choice. But as a player who's dealing with, who's starting to really get into that constraints, that lack of ship is a problem for me. Because I, I just can't, even well, though there's profit, I just can't do it. That's what will force you into a so-called vertical base is that you have to, you don't have the ship capacity. I now have five ships. Uh, I'm not surprised. You've, you're zooming along, my friend. Well, and I mean, I have to do, my business model kind of relies on having logistics capability because I'm delivering a whole bunch of different consumables to a whole bunch of different planets on a given schedule and they I have to be moving stuff around all the time. I'm trying to simplify my logistics so I can kind of move things in more regular patterns, but I still need a bunch of ships to move everything that I need to move. Well, I will ask you and and about my situation. If you were in my situation, would you rather maximize the aluminum production on Demos? It sounds like in your thing I would put my fabs somewhere entirely different than those two spots. Yes. And I would be limestoning Nike until I'm old and gray and I get as much as humanly possible. And then I would ship as much of that to a hub that doesn't need either of those things and is primarily my production center. That's how you would tackle it. Would you even break up the smelting, like just to get the raw outputs? Yes. Even though. Yeah. Wow. The the thing that you get with that is also you get the expert stack really fast. Yeah, I believe that. But it's it's so it's, is the speed of experts dependent on the total amount of production? I've often I've never known the answer to that question. The speed so. of experts is kind of an exponential curve on basically the amount of time spent producing something. I, I I was aware of the exponential. I could I could see that it's pretty obvious, but I didn't realize more production of the same thing would speed it up. I, yes, I, I was unaware of that fact. Yeah, it, so it, it basically you'll speed it up by two if you have two of the the thing. So I don't necessarily know this approach would work on shipbuilding because of I think you'd have to do more vertical bases because there's so many things being built that having whole systems of just. Yes, the only way that this would work on shipbuilding is if there you could supply your inputs um, reliably and regularly. Hmm. That is to say, if if you had like if you wanted to make FTL engines and you could readily supply all the inputs to FTL at scale, like you had suppliers for those things, then this sort of approach could work. The Galactic economy is just not nowhere close to that yet. So shipbuilding, you have to do more vertical stuff. So I, I have a sort of sea pair. You, you've been nice and quiet for this. Have anything you want to add? It's been a good conversation, but I... Oh, I, I wish I did. <laughs> I don't have any, like... I, I, like, there's definitely... I would so my suspicion is you have gone, you've designed around simplified logistics. That is your design. It's true. You're not wrong. I I have designed it. You're not. Yeah, you're you're pretty accurate on that. And it's funny now. I'm getting into a little bit more complex stuff, obviously. And I mean, now as we're going towards AFABs and stuff like that, it's it will get more complex. I don't actually even know necessarily because like yourself and Compound, 
compound is another member of our corporation uh, have kind of expressed interest in going after AFABs, right? And so at the end of the day, it's like we might we might map it out and even compound might even have a better idea as to how to get it done comparatively to ourselves. That being said, I mean, um, we, we do have a plan. I think that's the big thing. And I haven't really announced it yet because I've been just kind of working on more logistics, if anything else. Um, so you and you and you and compound might go after that. And I've been kind of interested in the consumables market. Right. And then we actually might converge on the ship components market when we get to that stage. Right. Um, so it is getting more complex, but to say that I have like some sort of secret or something like that, there is secrets. I definitely keep with inside the corporation, obviously. Um, but I would say large in part, it, it is sort of maybe those patentable sort of plans, right? Those plans that it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do, such as, you know, what we're going to be doing with the AFABs, right? Like, why why is it so simple for us? Why is it such a simple thing? Well, that's not something I'm going to tell you, right? It's something that we've obviously discovered ourselves, and it's not uh, you as in the world you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Lax, because you need to know. <laughs> oh, and, and I was looking at the materials list, and I can start to see it in my head. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I'm not going to tell other people this stuff, but... Um, so that's kind of where it goes. But in terms of like, uh, I've kind of already stated like Etherwind is a fantastic place to go set up. And I would say, funny enough, I'm now starting to understand and I don't, well, and I still don't actually understand and I probably never will because <laughs> I'll probably have this opinion, but I, I get the idea why people go to Katoa to set up manufacturing bases, right? Uh, it was kind of like at first I was like, why the heck? Would anybody go to manufacture at Katoa when it's a fuel base? It's a fuel plant. That's what it's used for, right? Well, a lot of the fuel gets produced at like OT, for instance, that OT planted out in factionless space. That's where yeah. some fuel gets produced. But um, I think one of the big things is that I, it's funny that nobody, it, they're all telling me the thing without telling me the thing. And that is that they're all telling me the secret without telling me the secret. And that is, all the veterans have moved off of fuel, although it's on a fuel planet. They all were producing. I bet you this is how it went. You know, I bet you this is how it went is that they were like, they all produced fuel at one point. Right. And then everybody started producing fuel and the fuel got good. And then they're like, you know what? We don't need to produce fuel anymore because it's produced, right? Like everybody, is, there's enough people covering it. So then we're going to go into advanced manufacturing, but we don't want to move our bases off Katoa because, you know, why would you, right? <laughs> So let's just make this planet an engineering planet because there's nothing on that planet. Hydrogen. I think that's, uh, no. Not even no, hydrogen. it doesn't do it. No, it, it has ammonia. Yeah. It has gallerite. I think it oxygen. oxygen. I haven't heard, it's one, oxygen. Yeah, one other thing. Oxygen could yeah. be the one thing and the fertility of it. So you could use oxygen and the fertility to produce carbon to do some manufacturing on it. But I think it's, I think it's a strictly importing planet where people import a lot of the stuff and export not like much stuff out of it because they've manufactured advanced things on it. Right. And so that's why it's a great engineering scientist planet. Right. Um, Cause it's just, it's kind of, it's funny. It's, it's almost like the planet has sort of matured, right? The plants had like a well, life cycle has matured. And there's, planets. there's, there's other elements to that. One, it's got infrastructure Two, It's directly next to a CX. So it's supportable from a CX if there's things to support yeah. it with. Right. So, so there's some, there's just other things going on that make it a little bit better. And 
I think another piece to that is there's some. I bet there's people on Katoa who have engineering bases on Katoa, manufacturing bases on Katoa, or other bases on Katoa that are there solely because it is a four-planet developed system that they can have a puddle jumper and do multiple steps in a single system. Well, we had, like, for example, Rose, I think it was Rose who mentioned the conversation about, uh, I don't remember if this is in a corporate channel or the, it's, I can get the discords confused, so if it was, but th- one of the things he was talking about was the puddle jumper in Antares 2. And I went and looked, and I'm like, I totally get it, right? There's, a, there's legitimate reasons why you would do that in that system. It's really good for that, right? Because it's got so many. Have, it's got five planets in Antares 2 you do things with. Actually, seven of them that people have actually put bases on. And if you look at it, it's got halite, magnesite, gallerite, hydrogen, ammonia, silica. You could, helium, you could build yeah, the helium nobody's getting, but it's all there, right? And just puddle jumper would be amazing. Katoa's got that same kind of system. So that yeah. that's where... And the fact that there's already a shipyard there, not which is definite benefit because it makes it practical to do that. Um, so I, I'm going to get a little nerdy now. I'm going to finish this on a, a very nerdy conversation. So if CPR is like, ah, you Derek nerds are going, that's fine. Uh, it's actually a, a conversation about is this problem solvable in a computational way? That is, could this be put in an algorithm? Could you actually get the information and come up with an optimal design? Like, is this is this a tractable problem to throw this in a computer, list out all the planets, the systems, you probably have to fill in some travel times. But is this one where you could, with computer assistance, come up with the optimal designs? Do you think that that's a realistic thing? Oh, 100%. I say no. Uh, so you could 100% if you had all the inputs, yes. But I don't think you have all the inputs. Uh, and what my what I mean by that is, so I use I use Prunner a lot to I like, for example, uh, in the Nike system, I have uh, Nike. Yeah, the uh, what is it? Uh, map. Let me pull up the map real quick and find the number of it. If in case you don't aren't in Antari space, uh, so that you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it is the one nine four, I believe. Yes, one nine four. I ha- there's five rocky planets there that I have designed a stack of bases that will produce consumables, more complex consumables. So that's the the computerized version of this. But the problem is there's so many soft components to this. The reason I'm building them there is because I need this stack of components and I'm trying to deliver a service. And soft components, what do you mean by soft? Um... I mean, like, the fact that I'm trying to deliver a a consumables package of all the consumables that that base needs to that base every week. Okay. That changes where you put things. 
the other thing that changes where you put what what you need to do and where you need to put things are how much cash you have in the moment or how much cash you have access to how much your your corporation has available what are your corporation's needs what are the changing factors of the 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 industry or the 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 space that you're in what behaviors are going on in the cx with inputs that you might need that might raise costs or um need make you need to snap up a bunch on short it's notice like the variable cost. yeah the variable costs and like how quickly are you going to need it there need to ship it around um how reliable are your suppliers there's like all these variables that all matter for where you place something that's sure. make it more of an art than a science so i don't I, think there's a spreadsheet or an algorithm go with it you go with it in a sense that like i get what you're saying i i i can appreciate what you're saying i can yeah yes you're taking it almost like another level to what was kind of brought up what i'm thinking at least maybe what lex has just gone for a second um so <laughs> you have me um um what lex was kind of saying was that you know let's go with prosper for instance right prosper you're able to map out all the ship components like all the components for a ship part right could you map out the raw input outputs of that on a computerized format and i'd say yes you could oh absolutely right? yeah yeah you could do yeah that. but you're right you're 100 right in the sense that if we were to take a look at you're right and i think that's where the empire level of thinking comes into play and that's i mean that's what we that's what I, as as a corporate leader, that's what I'm tasked to do, to do, right? And that's what makes it fun for me, right? And that's it's kind of what I signed myself up for, right? Is is figuring out these super duper, absolutely insanely complex problems, right? Such as like, you know, because I think there is, we kind of talked about it that there's like three tiers. I forget if this was a conversation we had with you, Dehas, or maybe it was just me and Lex, but uh, just 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 clue clue me in if it, if you remember this conversation. But we were kind of talking about that there's three tiers to the economy, right? That there's three phases to the economy, right? There's, um, oh, right. And there was a fourth that we, it was the fourth that was brought up. But the three tiers were like consumables. So like scientists, consumables, engineers, technicians, what have you not. Um, yep. uh, fabs. So like AFABs, RFABs, LFABs, BFABs, what have you not. And then the final one was uh, ship parts, obviously. But then there was a fourth, which was brought up which was the idea of uh, planet consumables, right? And planet consumables is a thing, right? If if you had a scenario where, so. pardon? Very much so. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, if you had a scenario where planet consumables were not being pumped out, right? Then it's sort of like the planets would start failing, right? So there's actually a whole level to this economy. There is this, like... If AFABs aren't, if fabs, if BFABs aren't pumped out, which they are all the time, but let's say they weren't, then yes, nobody could construct anything and the game would come, uh, come to a halt, right? So you have that scenario. So yes, people are popping up BFABs and then you get AFABs, RFABs, what have you not. Um, but if people weren't pumping out planet consumables, right, such as office supplies, fodder, uh, these kind of things then essentially the populations wouldn't grow and we wouldn't be able to get to more advanced things and the economy wouldn't grow and we'd just become stagnant, right? So that's why there is this fourth level to the economy, right? And so it's funny because that is a very new way of thinking for me, right? Coming coming into this game, I always kind of saw it very one, almost one-dimensionally, 
right? Where it's very much like, yeah, you know, go to the CX, produce your thing, make a profit, no sweat, no problem. And then the second dimension of thinking is that, well, money isn't the problem, right? It's logistics, right? And then where we get to a three-dimensional level of thinking is that idea that there is four tiers to the economy, right? And that each one of these tiers needs to be fulfilled in order for us to kind of advance the economy further in the game. And so Absolutely. it's kind of like yeah. if you were to computerize that, back to the original kind of statement by Lex, if you were to computerize that and bring it to a head where it's like, okay, um, you know, uh, computerize these raw, just the raw inputs and the raw outputs in, in such a fashion, I think it's possible. And I mean, that's what we, in a, in a human sense, that's what we've already done uh, uh, from a human standpoint is like, I've taken a look at how are we pumping out these AFABs? And like, we have some really smart guys that figure out some logistical sort of mapping techniques and we're like, okay, so this is how we map this thing out. Okay, how much of this is recycled, right? I think that's the other big thing is, you're right, that's where I think the computer would get tripped up. I, I do think is once you start talking about recycling things such as <clears throat> chlorine, um, <laughs> and in the, in, in, I don't know if you know this, has, but AFAB production, like every AFAB requires chlor chlorine. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. That's a that's a I common. Do not. I'm not a huge fab. I don't know much yeah. about fab. No, I, I could, it, it's I weird, but it's true. Uh, because chlorine is used, so every single AFAB requires an advanced chemical of some sort, and each one of those chemicals requires chlorine. And it's funny because the production of chlorine gives you uh, a slag output of uh, sodium. So that's where you get all that sodium from. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, AFABs, it's kind of interesting. So the I think the computer would start getting tripped up pretty quickly if we were talking about recycling. It would kind of like almost like divide by zero, essentially. It'd be like, ah, uh, so what am I doing again? And it turn it would turn itself in circles, right? But to us, that's a very beautiful thing, right? So it's like, oh, chlorine, perfect. Because then it's like, okay, we're just gonna have one guy producing that chlorine, right? Because we don't need a lot of it and and he can ship it, he can ship it pretty easily, right? So I uh I once said to a guy at work, because we do machine learning in my regular job, and people, there's always this really interesting conversation about how smart the machines are. And I, I tend to be, I'm not quite Elon Musk, the world is going to end, but I'm like, these things are terrifying and they're, they're scarier than we think they are. But I will say the following about the human brain. Um, it is, it takes 18 years to fully develop the greatest generalized machine learning algorithm in, in existence, right? It, it's Computers can actually beat people in all kinds of specialized tasks when they totally focus on it and they're designed to optimize for it. Where humans really, really do great, and I think this may be one of those cases, is in these generic multi-layered problems where they just, they can see and adapt in ways that the algorithms try. Now, I personally think that with reasonable amounts of data, this just becomes a pathing problem and can be solved that way. I think you could, I, I can construct in my head the data structures necessary to solve it if the data is there to do it, right? The, I, I, I definitely think that there's a few things I would want to know more of, but I will say that human beings are still going to do really well at this problem because it is the kind of multi-layered problem that's difficult for computers to beat people at. And, but that doesn't mean there's not a slightly more optimal solution that the computer couldn't solve. I, 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 will, I will 
off topic very briefly, but it, at work, I used to work at a company where they were bringing machine learning in. They're a big retailer. And it was always frustrating because they wanted these massive improvements in the computer. Like, oh, the computer will solve it. And I'm like, you guys have been optimizing the logistics system for this giant retailer for 30 years. What exactly is it that you think that my little algorithm is going to find that you didn't already know? And, well, and yeah. I, think, I think part of the, the issue here is that the computer is going to be better at playing this game than most humans simply from the fact that if you had a computer play the game, they wouldn't ha have to like, they could crunch numbers on fuel usage and they could yeah. turn ships around and automate all of the stuff that humans aren't good at automating. But then they would fail at the creative aspects of the game. I would agree with that. There's not enough, enough data. There's not enough. It's an interaction, I guess. And, and I think this is an interesting topic because you know, there's obviously, can the computer do it? But then when the computer's not doing it, and what really made me think about this topic, honestly, is, is a, and I, I respect our guests if they're listening. I was very appreciate you came. But it also occurred to me that there were certain things I didn't want to talk about. And I kind of laugh because I'm like, I'm prodding and I'm not getting answers. And I'm like, either because it's a trade secret, possibility one, or two, it's just a weird enough topic that they just didn't really want to go into some nerdy detail. But it really did catch me that this chain, particularly for these complicated things, is one of the most challenging, interesting things. And to be completely fair, I don't necessarily think that shipbuilders are going to undercut each other in the current market. Like At this point, I think anybody that builds a ship is going to have a market because everybody's busy, right? So one guy might provide it more cheaply, but you're not going to sit around and wait for a slight discount. So I don't necessarily think that there's a, you know, like I said, work for a big retailer and they're, they were, their entire market was actually the exact opposite of what CPR earlier. Their entire business was being cheaper. They sold junk and they sold it cheap and they sold it cheaper than anybody else. And they made tons of money at it. So there is like a model to do that. I don't think that would work in this game particularly well. I, I think I think a lot of the improvements that you're going to get aren't going to be about undercutting competition. They're just going to be able to be doing more of the things that you, that you yourself want to do or do them with a few less steps. Like I, I do tend to be a little less concerned about just maximizing the production of everything. I may eventually change my mind on that because I might just want to make more and I can't. But it... But to me, I think the simplification of just not having to think about as many things is worth something to me right now. But I think I am getting to the point where maybe that's about to change. Well, I do wonder, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up, that you were prodding and you didn't feel like you were getting uh, much back. Because I, I, I have this reticence to share how I'm producing the amount of consumables that I'm producing and my plans for my future bases. I have no clue why I don't want... I, I've shared some kind of vague details, but I have no clue why I'm hesitant to share more. Because I could literally tell somebody in this... Everybody in this game exactly how I was doing what I was doing and what I was going to do next. And nobody would do it, or like two people would do it, and I would still be able to do the exact same thing and still sell all of my product. But it's funny you bring it up because one of the things about being in machine learning is, uh, so I work for a company that's very secrecy focused and machine learning is a core area. 
And they actually had to change their policy because machine learning people share. And one of the reasons they share is because I could tell you what I did. I could write out the algorithm and it would take you years to collect the data the same way, get the same amount of information, implement all the interviews. So, so even if you knew exactly what my algorithm was, you still don't have any advantage. Like it doesn't lose anything. And I, I do think that the fuel in this game may be proof that that can occur. The complete collapse of the fuel market for a while, I think, was a matter of overproduction. And it is people discovering that there was this thing you could do, and all of a sudden it's like not as valuable. But I do think in your situation, with the complexity of your logistics chain, even if I knew exactly what you were doing, I probably wouldn't even try to replicate it. Yeah, there would be very few people who would, and the ones that would... Uh, basically, there would be a little bit of a collapse, probably, but then a whole bunch of other people would get out of it, and the three of us that were interested in solving this problem would continue to solve it, but we would all be busy doing it. <laughs> I, I don't really see a, a place in the future of this universe where I'm like, I fear for the the safety or the profitability of my consumables business. It might be interesting. It raises the possibility that the community may eventually just decide that blueprinting how to get to these things is worth the loss of trade secrets, right? That they may just decide, you know what? We're just going to take, we're going to take that. I'll be curious to see if that happens. I do wonder if part of the issue is there's not enough pressure to increase output. Like there's not enough, I don't know, pull to increase output of ship production. Like it's something that everybody wants to do, but if we were really serious about it, it would take a lot of a lot of people to be very reliable reliable about producing a lot of things. That may very well be true. And um, we could, in the current universe, we have everybody we need to just produce a massive numbers of ships. We just haven't done that because it seems to be that we're satisfied by producing ships at the race we're producing them. That's an and interesting it, question. I don't know. Surprisingly few people to do that because uh, the people who are actually involved in the ship production in the corp is uh, I'm in is not that many. I don't know exactly how many and what their chains look like, but it's not that many of people in the corp that are doing it. Mm. Did that surprise you? That did surprise me. I thought it would be like the entire corp was more like devoted to this entire thing. And but there's really only you know a few, a couple people that are. I, I don't know exactly how many, but uh, there's only I don't know. I'll guess at three or four who are really key to the process at most. And I think from one of our uh, is it Golihoff? I think. He and, a, and a, two of them sat down and figured out how to do it. Yeah. Don't, don't oh, it you can do it with just a couple people, but you're going to be very vertically integrated and it's going to be like a, a, a very complex vertical integration on a very few people. Whereas if we want to get serious about mass production of ships, then we need to do more horizontal mass production of inputs and outputs. So do you do you actually think that like it, it's not even so much it's just people just don't want to do it like it's it's there but there's just no 
it's too much work or tiresome or just whatever that people just don't do it? Yeah, I think so. I think because if people want to produce ships at scale, we can totally do that. You just have to have enough people who want to, who are willing to pay the logistical challenge to do it at, at scale. And nobody in the game has done that yet. And when I say scale, I mean like uh, real scale, where you're popping out ships like one a day or something ridiculous like that. Interesting question. I. I... I don't really know what what I think about that. Maybe, but um, I mean, the other thing that's surprising to me is how easy it is for me to access ships. Yeah, I was going to talk about that because I'll need to talk to your market whenever your market appears. Because I'm actually kind of curious. Like, I've not actually gone out and tried to find anybody. I'm sure they're. I assume they're there. I just haven't done it. Yeah, we talked to at least two guests who have their shipbuilding mm-hmm. corps. I'm in another one. I, I assume so, but it's one of those things where you like know a lot of people. Both that's one of the things that's very clear to me is you you have a strong network of people that you are working with and know, which is reflects well. But uh, anything else you'd like to add, C pair or? Um, you know, I it's funny. I've actually also thought likewise. Dad has about the idea that's like why. You know, why don't we combine forces when it comes to shipbuilding? Um, I don't know. I've given the thought. I have. I've given a thought about, about that idea. Um, I don't have an exact answer. Like, I don't have like, oh, this is what my conclusion was. It was just kind of more you know, thought experiments and thinking about it. Because uh, I think the big thing is it's funny because when like back to, you know, uh, kind of the original, 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 original topic, um, you know, what has this podcast taught us, taught me about the game? It's that idea that there is more shipbuilders out there than I thought. <laughs> I thought that we were going to be like the first, right? Uh, but no, there actually is a few uh, groups that are like us that are a little bit more private in nature, but definitely. And it's funny, uh, Gravy was talking about, you know, speaking of, you said, Lex, that you know people, right? And Gravy was speaking about how he got involved with GTU, right? Or uh, not GTU, sorry. How uh, was it? Maybe it was Goliath. No, I'm pretty sure it was Gravy. Gravy was speaking about how he got involved with his corporation and he kind of like, he just traded, right? He just traded with somebody and they're like, oh, like you're pretty reliable. So, because we were talking about piracy, right? And um, Gra- Gravy mentioned that he's like, yeah, you're pretty reliable. You want to be part of our corporation, right? And that's how they do it, right? We recruit through, it's, it's no, like, it's no secret that we recruit through our videos, through the podcast, through all the things that we do. Um but other people recruit other ways, and that's one of them, right? And so it's definitely it's definitely uh, a vibrant it's a vibrant community to say the least. So. Well, I don't think I have anything more specifically want to do on that topic. Um, cool. And I know we've been recording for a while. I appreciate y'all uh, bringing it all up, but uh, it was good. Awesome. Well, yeah. no, thank you so much, Lex and Dehas, for your uh, for your time tonight. It's just been an absolutely fantastic, a nice kind of more quieter episode as uh we kind of were guestless uh, it was funny i was like yeah we don't really have any guests lined up so i gotta i gotta stop slacking and get back on the the guest train and find some people to to bring some vast i was like i can bring random people onto the podcast but i always enjoy when we get uh you know figures of the community to say the least and and people but that's not to say that this podcast isn't open to uh anybody and everybody and 
I'll just say it again. We do have an open door policy on this podcast. So if you see us recording in this channel and you want to just jump in and have a discussion about something, please do. I, I, I think that'd be hilarious. Um, so yeah, please. Uh, what? That's how I got here. Yeah, okay, yeah. So far, you're the only person who took us up on it, and just—it's like now you live here. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's like, hey, you know, come bring your sleeping bag and just like plunk down in our office, and then it's like he did, and he just never left, and we're like, well, I guess this is our life now. Um, <laughs> so no, uh, thank you everybody for uh, listening. Uh, if you'd like to hear more, we do are now on Spotify and Apple Music. So you could, well, not on Apple Music yet. I'm working on it right now. I'm I'm still in the I'm still in the throes of getting it done. So uh, slowly but surely, I've applied for I've applied for the podcast to be on there. So, um, but also you can check us out at the Discord at uh, Paratox Prime Podcast. Um, that is the Discord. We'll have the link in the description. As well as you can join our corporation and join the conversations happening there in the public channels at Nascent Mercantile. Uh, as well, we do have one other Discord that we do operate, which is Nascent Financial, which is a great place to get a loan where you guys can come and uh, get some financing for your projects. Uh, we do have a lot of money to give away. Well, not give away, but uh, you get it. Um, I'll, I'll take your free money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so no, you can check us out there as well. I'll make sure to put the links in the descriptions. Uh, definitely, I know Lex always appreciates it. So do I. Uh, keep the conversation rolling inside the water cooler. And really, yeah, bring any and every subject, even if it's like not a discussion. Like you can really chat about whatever the heck you really want. I'd probably like to keep it to Prosperous Universe, but you'd be like, hey, did you see the latest King Kong movie? How was it? Um, yeah, Lex would probably really enjoy bringing that. He'll, he'll edit it out. Don't you worry. (laughs) Talk about whatever you want. He'll remove in the edit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so definitely keep the, keep the water cooler going. It's, it's always fantastic to hear you guys chat about that. Uh, if you do have any feedback, definitely let us know at the discord. You can DM myself or Lex. Uh, you could probably DM Diaz. Like he'd be like, Hey pair. That Lex, I heard this thing. You, you need to give him another color on the thing. I do. I do. Yeah. I'll just uh, <laughs> the role will be the guest that won't leave. <laughs> As he's currently orange, we getting blue or purple or yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> special yeah. VIP guest. Show up. Show up four times in a row. You get a special color. <laughs> yeah, coffee punch card fulfilled. <laughs> Um, but yes, so anywho, that is all folks. Uh, and we will see you guys again next week. Thanks for listening.